Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's get nasty on a Thursday. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN with Andrew Marsh and Jamie Rivers. I'm Anthony Salter. 201, your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We are back live streaming on YouTube. We're back, baby. So you can check us out on YouTube at our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Don't screw it up this time, okay? I know you got the tearaways on today. Last time the shirt came off and then YouTube went bye-bye. Now, Anthony, don't. Mike Ryder's in a great mood right now. He is. He's fired he got up. Back on YouTube. Yeah. Don't you take this day from him. Thank you, Mike Ryder, for getting us back on YouTube. I don't know why we were lost in the YouTube uh, <laughs> purgatory there, know. but hey, we're back. We are back. We are back. St. Louis SC last night. Excellent work by City. They played to a nil-nil draw against last year's MLS Cup defending champions LAFC, and they have clinched a playoff berth. In their inaugural year, City SC puts together an outstanding season that is not, we are not over yet. It is not over. Mm -hmm. Had they snuck into the playoffs, Jamie, that would have been great. Had they had their ups and downs but just missed out on the playoffs, that would have been just fine too. But for them to play this well and to secure a spot, especially on you know the, the game that the match that clinches it for you is against the defending champs, you could not have asked for a better first season for City SC than the one we're getting right now. Well, not only the defending champs, but the team that's right on your heels too yep. in the conference. And so... It was great that they were able to, you know, play to a draw. But the more exciting thing is the season overall. I mean, this is a massive success. Uh, Every level. If you look at the team's success, obviously, I I don't think anybody truly expected the team to be where they are are now. Now, I know that that Lutz and Bradley Carnell probably tell you, that's exactly what we thought. I think if you get a couple of uh, glasses of the tractor gas in them, mm-hmm. they'll probably tell you, yeah, this is way better than we thought. But they put together a team that they believe could compete. They put together a style of play that they thought could help the team compete. The ownership put together an incredible facility, and the fan base bought in and has been absolutely rocking it down at City Park all season long. This is the perfect storm for a franchise a, a new franchise to come into the to the MLS. Now, what I'd like to see, what I hope will happen, what I think will happen, is that City SC will secure a home field advantage, home pitch advantage, for <laughs> the entire playoffs. And again, we talk about other teams hating playing at City Park because it's such an electric crowd, it's loud, it, it's raucous, it's, it's very difficult. And City SC, they play good at home, too. On the road... Eh, you know, not, they play not good terrible, but yeah, they're ten three and one at home this year. They're five seven and three on the road. Yeah, so see, yeah. there's a di- quite a difference there. Yeah. Ten three and one at home, 
573 on the road. So last night they extended, speaking of the, the home pitch, City SC extended its home unbeaten streak to five matches, its longest of the season. City SC, the first Western Conference team and third team in MLS overall to 50 points this season. The team joins Atlanta United, Chicago Fire, and LAFC as the only teams to record 50 or more points during their inaugural season. What they have done has been nothing short of remarkable. Extended their current unbeaten streak to three games, and as we mentioned before, they're 10-3-1 at City Park in MLS action. And Roman Berkey, who has been just so filthy good, was once again so filthy good last night. Eighth clean sheet of the season, tying him with only three others for the fifth most clean sheets in the MLS this season. Dude's awesome. He has been the backbone for this team. He has been. I can't imagine where City SC would be without Roman Berkey. He stood on his head many, many games, making great saves, several saves in a row. He's a leader out there. You can tell that he's got that fire in his belly. You can tell he probably is a guy that keeps his teammates straight yeah. and makes sure they know what the hell they're doing. But he, he, Roman Berkey is exactly what has you in the playoffs right now. There's games, Anthony. We've seen it. Games with six, seven, eight, nine shots on goal. I mean, that's kind of unheard of when you're playing this sport of soccer. And yet Roman Berkey's still putting up clean sheets. I didn't get as much action last night. That's a credit to the team for taking yep. away opportunities. But whenever he's called upon, he's there, man. He is. He comes up with one or two big saves every single match. Seemingly one in like each half. One to keep the opponent <laughs> off the scoreboard and keep things calm and, and maybe tied. And then one in the second half to save a game or to save a potential draw. Yeah, they're big saves. Instead of, you know, securing a victory. Yeah, it's not He's like it's fantastic. a 7-2 game and he makes a big save. Right, no, no, no. No, it's like when the game's on the line, you're up by one you're, you're uh, or, or you're tied up, whatever it is, and mm-hmm. he comes up with a big save. Yeah, he's he's the guy that the team is the team is uh, down by one, and he hits the two run shot in those moments, or the game is tied, and he hits the the, the big two run shot to put his team above. It's not like the team's up seven deuce, no pressure. Then he hits his solo home run, he gets his cookie. Tom Timmerman on Twitter said, "I don't know if it's mathematically possible for City SC to finish ninth at this point. I don't think it is, but there will be at least one playoff game at City Park." The first round is best of two of th- best two of three, with the better seed getting two games at home, lower seed getting the one. Other rounds are single games. So that's Tom Timmerman on on Twitter. It's important that they secure home field advantage. Oh, it's huge. Home pitch advantage. With the when you describing the records, basically essentially ten and three at home and five and seven on the road. There's a couple of draws mixed in there too. But yeah. and this is all in MLS because yeah. I know they've played they've played some other games. At City Park, they've played uh, other non-MLS teams. Those that, don't matter. That doesn't count. They don't, yeah. they don't matter. They don't count. Well, a lot of times... No, you, they don't you, matter. Well, you're just talking about Roman Berkey. I don't think he played in any non-MLS games. I wouldn't have played. I would have had him wrapped in bubble wrap. Yeah. Security guard, making sure that he doesn't even like cut his own food. No kidding. <laughs> I got that for you, Roman. Just in case he cuts a finger. What is that, a filet mignon? We got it for you. No you problem like, uh, on smaller that. Smaller bites or larger bites, Mr. Yeah. Berkey? Yes. <laughs> This is why we have uh, the lower levels. Somebody, come here. You cut that for Mr. Berkey. Kyle Hebert will join us at 3.30. We'll talk to Kyle Hebert on what it means to secure a playoff spot. And I think, you know, Kyle has been very honest with us. I know that they, they had high hopes coming into the year, but I would be interested to know 
now that they have clinched the playoffs. All right, take us back to preseason. Take us back to your first sit-down with your coaching staff. What was what were the goals that were discussed? If he was if he's willing to share, I'd be interested. Because you know there was a almost an introduction to, hey guys, this is what we're doing. This is how we're building it. And here here are our goals in our inaugural season. And I would love to know if Kyle's willing to share those, what they were. I know they're confident. I know that this was a team that felt as though they had enough pieces to make things interesting. But to sit here where we are now, where they are in the standings, 50 points on the year, with the potential of hosting games at City Park, I can't imagine that would that was the exact outline. <laughs> well, it might have been the outline, uh, but it may not have been the realistic expectations. Sure. Like I said, get a little truth serum in these guys, and they'd probably be like, uh, you know, we would have liked to have just not finished last. Yeah. Which, if they did, we, we would still be talking like, okay. Well, if they did. First season. We, a lot of bumps totally in the road. Okay with it, and the fan base still would have shown up for the games. Certainly. Uh, so City SC, again, they, they play to a, a nil-nil draw last night. Next game, City SC will travel north for an away clash with Minnesota United FC. That'll be on Saturday, September 23rd. So in a couple of days here, they're going to play in Minnesota, and they'll put that road record back to the test here. I mean, hopefully they can get a couple of road games too where they pick up some victories and or, or maybe some draws, and they can have that confidence on the, on the road too. Uh, that's... Uh, Again, that's on Saturday. And they lost to Minnesota FC earlier in the year, didn't they? Was that, that was, the, their, that was first their first loss. loss. And we know that because of the gauntlet. That was on the gauntlet the other day, wasn't it? Yes. So have they, have they played them again since that point? Do we know? Or is this is this just going to be the second, Sorry, the I'm second match? I'm looking up something else here. So they if, lost 1-0. One, one yeah, that was it. That was the only game. If City SC finishes first in their conference... They will be the most successful inaugural franchise ever in the MLS. Isn't that fitting, too, with St. Louis being just such a an absolute hotbed for, soccer. for the game of oh, soccer? Yeah. That St. Louis City, that it's, it's the expansion team out of St. Louis that put forth just such a great effort to bring the MLS here. It has done everything. To a cl- from a class act, I mean professionalism all the way through. That we're the club that set sets that mark. I think the MLS That'd has be phenomenal. To, they have to love this too because they're trying to expand the league, and so you have other people that are wanting MLS teams thinking the exact same Good thing. Point. Hey, I can buy a team, I can start up a team, and we can have success just like St. Louis did. There's a blueprint now too, Marsh. You're right. So it's it's a blueprint for maybe a new owner that wants to have a team in the MLS and sees the success, but it's also any expansion team that that comes in, you're going to be looking at what City SC did. How they built the roster, their style of play. Can we duplicate that? And then can we have the have similar success? I mean, I hope, I hope no team ever has the same success in their first year as, as City does. Nobody has. We want to be we want to be selfish. But nobody has, Anthony. and nobody has. They, there's a bunch of teams, two or three teams here that finished as high as second in their conference, but nobody's finished first. That's excellent. 
Let's go, baby. Good for them. Congratulations to City SC. Kyle Hebert will join us at 3.30. Matt Holiday, though, will join us next. We'll talk to Matt about Adam Wainwright's 200th victory and some interesting comments made by Alec Burleson that I'm sure Matt will have kind of some thoughts on because he went through, as, as, as every big leaguer does, he went through a similar process. So we'll talk to Matt Holiday next here in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Now batting for the Fast Lane, Cardinals Hall of Famer and fifth member, Matt Holiday. We're hanging with Holiday on 101 ESPN. Powered by Air Alliance Team Heating and Cooling. Getting the job done quickly, correctly, 100% of the time. It's the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We are live back on YouTube, so check us out on the YouTube channel at 101 ESPN SDL with Jamie Rivers. I'm Anthony Stalter, and let's head to our celebrity line. We're joined by Cardinals Hall of Famer, uh, the one and only Matt Holiday. What's up, Matt? Hey, guys. How we doing? We're doing great. We saw Adam Wainwright. Uh, Jamie threw out the first pitch for Adam Wainwright's 200th victory. Yeah, so I got him going. Jamie's, Jamie's yeah. taking a lot of credit for it, and I think he should. <laughs> yeah, get him off on the right foot. Yeah, you know, I just figured that he's seeing an older guy out there on the mound, you know, inspiration. Put my arm around him a little bit. Said, hey, Wayne, we got this tonight. Yeah, it worked. Well, I mean, the first pitch of the game was great, and then Wayne threw probably close to 100 more of them. <laughs> <laughs> my arm was exhausted after that first Jamie, pitch. You know? Jamie was the opener that night. <laughs> um, Matt, knowing Adam Wainwright, who is, who is one of your dear friends and, of course, former teammates, uh, knowing what he has gone throughout throughout his career with the the injuries and the battling back and what do you think this this victory means to him well i think it means a lot i I think that um you know in a season where uh the team is is not played well and his body is has been banged up um for him to get the 200th win and 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 what probably you know or could be his last uh outing of his career um, I, I know it was really important to him. So, uh, pretty, pretty exciting, pretty awesome way, uh, to finish, um, you know, maybe, maybe his career on a, on a, on a note like that. So, uh, the way the crowd reacted, the way his teammates, I mean, it was just, a, it was a really cool moment. Um, and, and I'm, I, I think it did mean a lot to him to get that 200th win. Yeah, he didn't just get the win either, though, Matt. Like, it's one thing to limp across the finish line, get your five innings in, then you'll know, cross your fingers that your team can keep the lead for you. He went seven scoreless. Yeah. I mean, it was an awesome performance. I mean, just the, the performance alone for me was something that uh, I just absolutely love being there and being in the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was symbolic of his career, you know, just coming up big when he needed it. I mean, he just. Um, he's just been such a, a big game pitcher and, and such a, uh, a stud of a, of a, of a guy and a, and a performer, um, for him to get seven innings, you know, against a team that's going to be in the playoffs and, and, uh, in front of the home crowd and get that 200th win. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. So I'm thrilled for him. Talked to him the other day, uh, yesterday and, and, uh, he was pretty thrilled about it. And, um, so it's been an amazing career. I mean, it'll be, It'll be strange to to think about a Cardinals organization and a Cardinals team uh, without Wayno and Yachty, and and uh, you know things will obviously look a little different next year with without Adam. But 
Um, he's been a tremendous Cardinal, a tremendous ambassador for the city and, and for the MLB in general. And, uh, one of my favorite people. Matt, I uh, the other day after after the 200th win, I just said, in my opinion, I think that was the perfect exclamation point for Wayno. I don't see the need for him to get back on the mound at all this season. But you know, Wayno's Wayno; he'll do what he chooses to do, and certainly I respect that. But I'm going to go in a different direction. I also predicted that Wayno was going to DH again <laughs> or get an at bat. I know you're just talking okay. to him. Do you have any insider information for me on that? I we didn't talk hitting, uh, and and listening to how Dang his body it. feels, I would I would if I was you and you have any money on that anywhere else, I would I would try to get it back. Um, <laughs> well, good thing I don't have any money. That's great. Yeah. So uh, you know, I think it has been it uh, obviously uh, you know when you when you play this long, uh, it, it takes wear and tear on your body, and and I think he's he's asked just about all he can ask out of his body, and I, I think he's. He's leaving the game knowing that he left it all uh, on the table and, and has sort of uh, exhausted uh, several parts of his body uh, that I think might limit his batting, uh, his chance at hitting. Uh, I think he would probably opt out of that. Could I see him pitching an out or two or three uh, in the last game of the season? I, I think that's more likely. Matt Holliday join us right now on the fast lane on 101 ESPN. Matt, I wanted to read you some quotes by Alec Burleson and then get your thoughts on it. Uh, Alec Burleson said, Turner Ward, we butted heads a lot this season because he was trying to break through. I was very stuck in my ways, and I think we can both rightfully say what got me here was my hitting and my approach, but obviously it's a different game here. I don't think that Alec Burleson is trying to be, um, you know, uh, a jerk or, or you know try to downplay his coaching or anything like that I, I think that this is something that for all young hitters or we talked about Justin Fields yesterday Jamie the quarterbacks where you know what got you to this point but your coaches also know what it's going to take to keep you in the big leagues Ooh. how difficult is that to mat to, to balance the two you're a hitter you know what you know what you can do but this coaching staff's like, yeah, some of this is not going to work in the big leagues. How difficult is it to kind of trust what you're getting from the coaching staff when it doesn't necessarily feel right to you body-wise? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that when you talk about hitting particularly, um, you're going to do some things that you've done your whole life. There's going to be some moves you make uh, that you've done since you were a kid. But there is going to have to be some you know, sort of tweaks, and, and you're going to have to – uh, you're going to have to get into positions consistently uh, that allow you to have success against the best pitchers in the world. And there's some things that you can get away with maybe in AAA and in the minor league. Uh, there's some, there's some habits or maybe there's some, uh, there's some things that, that happen that you can, you can kind of work around in the minor leagues that get, that get exposed in the big leagues, particularly for him. I would say that he's going to, he's going to be a guy that's going to have to hit for some power he's going to have to have a high slugging percentage just because of the positions that he plays. And, and so I, I think that um, in looking at his OPS and some of those things, um, he's going to have to produce a little bit higher of an OPS if he wants to, to be an everyday player in the major leagues. And, you know, he, he had produced in the minor leagues and, and, and what had got him there, I, I think is, was good enough. But I, I do think that uh, you have to continue to get better to make tweaks, to listen to coaches, to look, analyze your own swing, to figure out where I need to, you know, how do I get in a better position to drive the ball to be a more productive player? So I, uh, 
I, I'm not sure, um, you know, the, sort of the insight on that. Uh, but I, I just in listening to that comment and, and the question you asked me, I, I would say that it, it is a fine line between being who you are, but you have to, you know, be able to adjust uh, at the major league level. So just putting Alec Burleson, the player, aside, let's just take a player that is his age and in his position. How hard is it for the hitting coach yeah. or the manager to get the buy-in? I mean, you work with young guys all the time, and mm-hmm. like there's there's a certain power struggle between what you did to get there and now what you need to do to stay here. How hard is that for the coach? Well, usually, Jamie, you know, results will make you more coachable. You know, I, I think that uh, you, you're, we're all – more willing to listen to advice when things are not going well. And so uh, I think hitters in general get humbled. Uh, there's going to be periods in the season. Uh, even the great hitters go through stretches where they feel like they have no idea what they're doing and they need a voice. They need, a, a, they need somebody to bounce things off of. They need somebody to say, hey, I was watching your tape and this looks different or this looks off. This looks uh, different than when you're going good. Um, so I think that's the job of a hitting coach is to be able to say, hey, here's what I see. Uh, here's what you're doing really, really well. And then here's, you know, maybe a tweak or a minor adjustment we can make. I don't think that you can make major adjustments in season as a player in the major league. I think it's very difficult to, to incorporate a big move or a, a big uh, maybe stance adjustment or hand placement adjustment. It's tough to make big moves. Uh, during the season, but I do think you can make small tweaks, and and I think a good hitting coach um, can can spot little things that, that that hitters have to be willing to to give it a go. Um, but I, I I can tell you from personal experience, um, when you're not doing well, when you're not getting the results that you want, you're willing to try uh, little things or make adjustments because it sucks to to not do well, and so. Um, I, again, this is just specifically speaking. I don't, I don't know the, you know, the backstory of, of his particular case, but um, usually uh, you have a pretty good chance to coach guys when they when they're in a in a rough spot. Matt, great stuff. We know that you got another interview coming up, so we appreciate the time. Have a great rest of your week and a great weekend. We'll check back with you next week. Sounds good, guys. Good talking to you guys. You too. Thanks, Matt. See you, Matt. All right. See you. That's Matt Holiday, Cardinals Hall of Famer here on the Fastlane on 101 ESPN. We're going to dive deeper into Burleson's comments and some things that Matt said, but I I don't envy any young player in any sport that has the athletic ability to be a professional. And then a coaching staff comes in and says, hey, listen, love what you're doing. We got to tweak some things. And then you trusting the process knowing that it's going to make you better in the long run. And it it goes back to our conversation yesterday about Justin Fields. You can't go out there and do what you did at Ohio State and succeed at, at the NFL level. The defensive coordinators are too good. The, defen- the defensive players are too good. We know you can run fast. Defensive linemen's now, defensive ends now run like 4'6". So, yeah, they get around pretty good. <laughs> it's just one of those things you have to develop. And it's, it's not only on the coaching staff to get through to those guys, but for the player to accept that, grow through that, have, have the painful moments, and then hopefully come out better on the other side. It's a trust thing, too. Anthony, I'll tell you that much. It's a trust thing because as a young player, you come into the league having had success at every level, and that includes Alec Burleson. I mean, he tore up AAA baseball before he came up to the Cardinals, and 
So in his eyes, like, why the hell would I change anything? Mm -hmm. Like, and then what happens is when you start to change things, you see a decrease in your production because you're getting used to it. Yeah. It's something new. And so then now you really doubt what's going on. Why am I doing this? Why are you having me do that? I'm not, I'm getting worse, not better. Right. It's hard to see the finish line sometimes when the road's a little windy. You got to work your way through it. Sure. But you have to trust the coaching staff that a couple things. One, they want you to be the best player you can be uh, because, two, their jobs are on the line. There's not a coach that's going to tell you to go do something to make you worse so the team plays worse and the team loses so he loses his job. Right. It's not the intention. But the trust level, it's hard. It, that's why it's so important to have those relationships with your players to build that trust slowly so that when you do make adjustments, they buy in. That's Jamie Rivers. I'm Anthony Stalter. Don't forget, we're back on YouTube. So visit us on the YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. What is the best lineup in terms of pairs when it comes to the, the, the Blues this upcoming season? Jamie will tell us next on 101 ESPN. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, Trex, Envision, Azek, and decorators to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Stop by and see Hackman's expanded paint department, too, with brushes, rollers, painter's tape, and four different lines of interior and exterior paint. Custom color match available. Visit Hackman Lumber's newly remodeled stores in St. Peter's and Pacific, or their showroom in Troy, Missouri. Hackman Lumber. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. When things aren't going good, the natural tendency is to change things up and... The coach wants to, again, I want to speak for Craig, he changes things up because he wants to see a different result, and the players will quick change and things will get a different result. It's a chicken or the egg. But I, I think right now we, we have an idea of pairs. I, I think the NHL works in pairs myself. It's a centerman and, and a right or left winger, and then the other guy fluctuates. I've, we've had a lot of success uh, in every team I've been around when, when you have a good pair. So it's not a line as much as it's a pair, and we got to find those pairs that are going to have that great success. That was Doug Armstrong earlier today during a press conference. He talked about building chemistry in the lines and building around pairs. You heard him mention it a couple of times in the, the, the last couple of seconds there. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Anthony Stalter. Again, we're up back on YouTube. So if you've been saying, hey, where's the YouTube channel? We got it back up at 101 ESPN SDL. Uh, YouTube let us back out of jail, which was nice. <laughs> Jamie, you heard Doug Armstrong talk about building chemistry, building the lines. But not just building lines, you're talking about pairs. So what is the best combination for the Blues this season in your eyes? As far as like line combinations? Yeah. <clears throat> well, look, the pairs thing is true, I think, to a certain extent. But, you know, if you go back and you listen to a lot of the other things, too, they talk about having a score, a passer, and a grinder out there. So it is two guys that you ultimately work best, like David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly. You could float 
several different guys through the left side of that line because those two work so well together that you know, you, you had some flexibility. Yeah. I don't – I'm still wondering what some of the pairs are here because, like, Buchnevich and Thomas, is that the pair or is Thomas and Kairou the pair? Right. Yeah, I don't know. So that's where I'm kind of, like, a, a little bit – not confused, but on the fence. Mm-hmm. And then with you know with with Braden Shen, is it Shannon Kapanen or is it Shannon Sod? And then you've got Sammy Blay that was on the right wing with Kevin Hayes today. With Bolduke on the left wing, Bolduke is probably not going to make the team out of camp because Verana was on a different line as well. So you have a lot of uh, testing the waters right now. But I do think what Craig Bruby's trying to do is. Get some lines that look pretty close to what it's going to look like for the regular season and start to build some of that chemistry. And we do know that the Buchnevich, Thomas, Kyrou line, they have had some success. Over the past couple of seasons, whenever they're together, they've had big pockets of success. And I'm intrigued by that line. I think that's your that's definitely your first line. That's your, your goal-scoring line. That's your offensive punch all put into one bucket. And you're like, here you go. Let's go. Good thing about it, too, though, Pavel Buchnevich, He's a really good defensive-minded player. Mm-hmm. He's a full 200-foot guy. Uh, Robert Thomas is still working on that, still expanding his game. Uh, I think he's better defensively than what was led to believe last year because the year before he was really good. The year before he started establishing himself as taking face-offs last minute of the game, big face-offs out there along, on the ice alongside Ryan O'Reilly but taking the face-off. So Robert Thomas is ready to make those strides forward. I think that... He just has to continue to be consistent with it. And I think sometimes these young guys, you know, they're looking for the cookies, which is all the points, and they forget sometimes that you have to have the puck yep. to score the goal. Right. How do you get the puck back? Well, you got to take it from the opponent, or you got to cause them to turn it over. And I think that they're learning that. And Jordan Cairo, <clears throat> we're going to get into Jordan Cairo a little bit more in the show, probably 3 o'clock hour, because JR had a great piece in The Athletic. And his, you know, his maturation process is, is speeding up, too, as a young player. He's recognizing the importance of playing on both sides of the puck, yeah. being competitive, making good decisions. So I, I really like that combination. Saad, Shannon, Kapanen, I think we saw that one coming a mile away. I think that that's kind of what it has to be. Uh, the only other version I could see of that would be Verana, Shen, and Kapanen. And that's if you want to try and really add some more offense, maybe a scoring line, number two. And then, you know, Saad, Hayes, and Sammy Blay up there right now with those guys, I think that's a reward for what he was able to do in a short period of time last year for the Blues. I also think it is it's it is a tryout, literally. Can he handle playing top nine? Is he the guy? Can you do that? Because on my scorecard, I have Sammy Blay starting the season on the fourth line. Mm-hmm. No disrespect to Sammy. I just think the fit is better. Um, you know, having maybe Sammy Blay, Oscar Sundquist, Torpchenko, that's kind of a good fourth line, but you know the, this this Nick Ritchie. This one's going to be it's going to be an interesting scenario here because Craig Berube today talking down at Centene, he really likes him. And when we bring a guy in on a PTO and the coach is already talking about how much he likes a player, like the writing's kind of on the wall that unless he gets a better contract from a different team, yep. he's probably going to be in your lineup. So where does he go? I mean, if that's the case, like. We talked about Mackenzie McEachern. He's going to have his hands full. Uh, Zach Dean, he's going to have his hands full. Nathan Walker, these are all guys that could find themselves on the outside looking in. And, you know, Jake Neighbors right now on the fourth line. Jake Neighbors is also a guy that could find his way up to playing with Kevin Hayes. Mm -hmm. So I I do think that there are some pairs as far as some 
mat like guys that pair up well together. I don't think anything is etched in stone yet. It's also the first day of training camp. There's a lot of things you try, a lot of things you think are going to be great that four days into camp, you're like, yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> We're on to the next page. Mm-hmm. But it'll be fun. It's going to be fun. The one thing I do like is that this lineup, top to bottom, has really good depth. Jamie, how how is is when we talk about like line combinations and things like that, we we tend to we tend to just kind of circle the one that it, that that is hot in the moment and say, boy, the chemistry is there. This is the this is the best line. And then before long, Bruby or any hockey coach is kind of switching things up. How important is having chemistry among a line? Or is that one of those things where it's just it's it's more it's more media and fan driven thing, and it's not it's not real. It's just you you work with whoever's on the ice together. Yeah, no, it's really important among the forwards too. Yeah, most importantly, most importantly, yeah. I mean, you have to know where your line mate is going to be at all times. You have to know what his thoughts are, what why he's doing certain things. And I go back to Perron and O'Reilly. Because those guys knew they knew exactly what the guy was trying to accomplish, where he was going to go next, and what he wanted you to do, and it just makes a huge difference. And we've we've seen it even last year. We we talk about pockets of success. How about some of the, the string of games that Booch, Thomas, and Cairo had there for a while? They were scoring every freaking game. Mm-hmm. It, like that's not just you throw a couple of guys together and you're like, oh maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. There's chemistry there. You get to know the tendencies of your line mates. Uh, just being with each other at practice every day, you know where they like to puck. If it's a one-timer shot, he's set up. Does he like it in the middle? Does he like it on the front leg? Does he like it more towards the back? Where does he get more power? Does he like to get the pass on his backhand rather than shoot the one-time? Like, you learn so much about your line mates. Hell, you even know which way he's going to turn when he gets into the offensive zone. If he's in on a four-check and he gets in first F1 and he makes contact, which way, where is he going with the puck? Well, I know that he likes to go to the corner, feed it to the middle of the ice. Now I better be in the middle of the ice. So chemistry is massive when it comes to lines playing together. And even so, on the back end, too, for your defense partner, you really have to know where your partner's going. If you've got a guy out there that you've never played with before and you're not really used to it, it can make a difference. That one split second of looking at each other, not knowing who has who, that's a backdoor tap-in. Sure. You can't have that this year. We have a lot of Blues coverage throughout the course of the show today. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, is going to join us at 4.15. Well, Jamie just mentioned Jordan Cairo in the uh, the article that Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic put together. He, he kind of gave us a tease. Well, that uh, that article is, is out, and we'll talk about Jordan Cairo and uh, his improvement in terms of his all-around game. We'll also discuss what does the next steps look like for guys like Kyrou and Robert Thomas. That's all coming up throughout the course of the show. And don't forget Kyle Hebert of St. Louis City SC joins us at 3.30 following City SC clinching a MLS playoff berth last night. Thursday night football is vastly important in my eyes for one player. Tell you who. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tonight we have 49ers-Giants pregame starting at 6.30. Thursday night football week three starts tonight. Everybody got their picks in for the NFL Pick'em Challenge? Everybody's good there? Oh yeah, I'm good. All right. Made my picks today. We're all on the Giants, right guys? 
Giants are the team tonight. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they're due. Yeah. The team to win? Absolutely, Marsh. Mm. If you're not on the Giants, you're a fool. So we're all going Giants tonight. That's right. Look at the comeback they had last game. The 49ers are not ready for that. No. No. They are not. No. Some think that the 49ers are a Super Bowl contender. Well, not here. Actually, Jamie and I both have them in the Super Bowl. Yeah, but... That it goes through the Giants, though. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Especially after last Sunday. You're right, Jamie. Saquon <laughs> Barkley, out. Uh, guard. They get a guard out. They get a linebacker out. They get a defensive end out. They've got uh, Andrew Thomas, their offensive tackle, out with a hamstring. I'll, I'm going to be unfair for a second because no, there's, there's, no way, <laughs> there's no way the Giants are winning this game. Zero zero point zero percent chance that they're winning this game. I don't game like when you do that in San Francisco. I don't like when you do on that. a short week. Can we make it just anything? Zero point one percent. Sure. Thanks. It makes me feel better. That's no problem. I, nothing I, is ever for sure. I like to make you feel better. It's Jamie. like being like, for instance, like being up twenty eight to three going into the fourth quarter. Like that's a sure thing. Nothing is ever for sure, Anthony. You know. So let's just play it safe. What? Why why did you come here to hurt me today? It's a random number. Just like the one announcer said to Matt Ryan live on the air, it just it feels like it should be twenty eight to three right mm. now. A just random number. What's your problem? You right now. At least he's consistent. Yeah. You're right, Marsh. At least he's consistent. Mm-hmm. He brought that energy from yesterday yeah. into today. Into to today. You're right. You up. What are you talking about? I'm defending you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Anthony. (laughs) I thought you were defending me. (laughs) I'm just switching where you on. I'm on everybody's side. Uh, Yelly! (laughs) Switzerland over there. Anyways, I'm going to be completely, completely unfair with this, okay? (laughs) There's no way the Giants are winning this game. But Daniel Jones, I think, is in the spotlight tonight. Daniel Jones played very well last week. Well, in the second half, he did. I know it was against Arizona. I know that they made some adjustments. Brian Dable and his coaching staff, very familiar with Arizona's coaching staff because a lot of Arizona's coaching staff was in Philadelphia last year, so they, where they faced, faced the Giants twice, twice last season. But if you're Daniel Jones and you're making a bunch of money, I don't care that this is a tough San Francisco team. You're down Saquon Barkley. If you want to be paid and viewed as a franchise quarterback, this is a game you got to ball out a little bit. Nobody expects you to win. Everybody expects you to do what you did against Dallas, which was completely fall apart because Dallas just annihilated your offensive line. But you don't have Saquon Barkley. You, you're you not going to be able to run the ball. If you had Barkley, you may not have even been able to run the ball. Daniel Jones has to play with that reckless abandonment that he that he had last, last week. That was called uh, panic. You know what? That was the best <laughs> I've seen him play. He, he threw some seeds in that game, and he played like his hair was on fire. He kind of had to. They were down by 20 points. You're going to be down 20 points again tonight. I'm First interested. <laughs> yeah. Second, Second quarter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's San Francisco. Yeah, it's a short week. San Francisco's got to get going. But, Jamie, when you're looking at this game, that to me is the only storyline. With Daniel Jones? Daniel Jones and how he performs. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is like the Giants. I. I caught myself the other day when we were doing the pick and challenge. I try to go through and look at both teams, and I sat there and I wondered, how the hell did the Giants win so many games last year? Because that's not a good football team. It's not. Now, I know that Saquon Barkley, okay. 
But you still, like, one guy like that, I mean, yeah. can win you a couple games. How the hell did they win that many games last year? Do, do you want to know the answer, or is that rhetorical? No, it's a real question. They had a formula. We had the question yesterday about identity. What the hell are you guys talking about with identity when it comes to sports teams? And we talked about it with the Cardinals. We talked about it with the Blues. The identity for the New York Giants last year was to play complementary football. And what that is is the offense supports the defense. The defense supports the offense. Special teams support, supports them as well. Complementary football. If you have to punt, make sure that punt is perfect so you don't put your defense in a bad spot. If your defense goes out there, gives up yardage but not points, you're supporting the offense, gives the offense a chance. If you're not turning the ball over on offense, you're supporting your defense as well. And, of course, if you're taking away the ball, you're supporting your offense because you're putting them theoretically in good good positions to score. It's complementary football. They kept a lot of games close because they did not beat themselves heading into the fourth quarter. A lot of games were one possession either way. And then in the fourth quarter, that's when they kind of opened up the offense a little bit more, gave Daniel Jones a chance to run around and throw. He could, guy, guy can throw. But they, he kind of opened up the offense a little bit more and allowed them, if they were trailing, to come back. If they were winning, they hammered it with Saquon Barkley to protect the lead. Yeah, And they won a lot of games that were one possession. It's different from the Vikings. The, the Vikings won a lot of one-possession games last year because they couldn't get off the field defensively, and their offense had to throw all over the yard. And they did. They were either coming back against the Colts, winning that way, or barely holding on because they scored, They just outscored their opponents. It's different. The Giants, the Giants kept things close with great game plans. But you're right, Jamie. They don't have the horses. They don't. Saquon Barkley now being out. Their wide receivers, are, all of them are just fine. Their defense is good, not great. They're, they're going to be in a lot of trouble tonight. So we're taking the Giants. Everybody good? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. All it's Fastlane on 101 ESPN. Can Jordan Cairo improve his all-around game? We'll talk about that next and why it's important here in the Fastlane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fastlane podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Kairou in, Kairou, shoot, score! They backed him off. He made him pay. Jordan Kairou snaps it in his 35th of the year. That was Chris Kerber on the call. Blues Radio Network right here on 101 ESPN. And Kerbs will join us at 415 and we'll discuss not only what he's seeing thus far first day of the training camp, but also Jordan Cairo and his and the importance of Jordan Cairo improving his all-around game. 301, your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Jamie Rivers. I'm Anthony Salter, and as we talked to Jeremy Rutherford yesterday from The Athletic, he gave us a, a, a tease, a preview of his upcoming article on Jordan Cairo. Here's a couple excerpts that I think that, that were interesting. Jamie, I'm looking looking forward to your breakdown, too. So faster, Jordan Kyra faster. A part of Kyra's offseason training in the Toronto area, he went to the local high school track once or twice a week, which he had not done the previous summer. Some days were spent doing plyometrics, explosive jumping and sprinting, and others long distance running. He'd start at 80 meters at max speed, 
and go up to 10 meters incrementally until he reached 150. That, along with Kyrie's weight training, allowed him to add five pounds so that the six foot one forward arrived in St. Louis at 190. But despite the added weight, he can tell he can tell skating with the Blues teammates the past few weeks that he's move, moving better than ever. It it seems like this is a player, Jamie, that while he always took his training serious, I'm sure he's he's looking to add ways to improve some of the small details of his game that make a huge difference when it comes to the 20, the 200-foot part of the game, not just speed, offense, creating a shot, and scoring goals. Well, look, this is a couple things here. Uh, the track and field training, that's something I did too. Way back after I think my first year in the NHL, our strength and conditioning coach was Bob Kersey. Jackie Joyner Kersey's husband, nice. who was the U.S. Olympic track and field coach. And so Bob Kersey used to mess with me all the time and be like, why don't you come down to the track? Why don't you come down to the track? He was coaching the women's mm-hmm. track and field team. And so finally I was like, all right, I'll go down to the tracks. He was going on here. You know, lace up the, the shoes, go run with some some girls, you know? They smoked you. My God, did they bury <laughs> me. They buried me. My first day there was the most humbling thing ever. And I could run. I was like, I could, I could run. No, no, you can't. <laughs> but it was awesome training. And, and, yes, the plyometrics and the quick twitch muscles, all of those things, they, they're transferable to the ice. It, it's actually something that can really help you. What I like about what Jordan Kyra is doing is this not so much for his 200-foot game, the, the extra speed. It's nice to have it. But you have to continuously try to improve on what you're good at, too. He's a really fast skater. He's a really good offensive player. How does he continue to create that edge? How does he continue to get better? Well, this is how you do it. You add a little more speed, a little more burst, and certainly adding weight in the weight room. Now he's bigger, a little stronger, but he's now he's backing it up with some more speed, too. Yeah. Makes him a really dangerous player. So I like that aspect of it very much. I think that it also shows that the young man is is very aware of trying to get better. Sure. And again, not talking about the 200-foot game. I'm just talking as a player overall. He's trying to get better. He's working at it. Nothing worse than when you have a young kid who goes home for the offseason and just doesn't really change anything. I'm good. He's got $64 million that says that he doesn't really have to change anything, you know? But he is. So I like that. That uh, that shows me that Jordan Cairo has that fire, that passion, and that he is a competitive guy. He does want to be one of the best players on the ice. I implore you to go check out the entire article because it's, it's worth a, a read. JR does a great job at The Athletic, but again, continuing some of the excerpts. I feel quicker... And like I can maintain it longer, Kairou said. If you can put weight on and keep up that spe- that same speed, that's what you want to do. That helps you get into position quicker, get guys quicker, get two guys quicker. That helps in all aspects of the game. The other thing that I wanted to ask you, Jamie, is when you're looking at this article and you're looking at Kairou's game, Kairou believes he's gotten better defensively. Um, when it comes to studying not only yourself, but also having a better understanding of your opponents. I'm assuming that he he needs to, he needs to also put in more video work. Yeah. So look, we just talked about how he's maturing and his quotes and his extra work and all that. There's always room to grow. There's always room to grow. And I know that Jordan Cairo is very aware of what everybody on the outside is saying. That he's just an offensive guy. He doesn't play good defense. He doesn't try defensively which I don't agree with because not knowing what to do is different than not trying. Mm-hmm. 
Now, sometimes there could be a lack of effort in a certain situation, but overall, I just think Jordan Cairo has to identify situations better. Yeah, we've talked about this before to where it lasts three minutes of a period. Is it better to try and toe drag this guy inside the blue line in my end, or should I chip it off the wall and let my teammates get it or outskate this guy for the loose puck, outcompete him for the puck? Well, the answer is B on that one. At times last year, he, t- he chose answer A. Tried toe drag guy, put it through a guy's legs, get it knocked down. All of a sudden, goal horn goes off. It's the back of your net. Same at the offensive blue line. Last three minutes of a period. You know, what are we doing here? Are we trying to cut through the middle of the ice and hopefully score a YouTube highlight real goal? Hopefully, the big word. Or do we chip it down in the corner, go get it, maintain puck possession, cycle the puck down low, eat the clock up, and get a victory for your team? Obviously, again, the answer is B on this one. So this is where those decisions for Jordan Cairo have to happen in real time on the ice. So who helps him with that? Well, this is the, the coaches, and Jordan Cairo has to help himself with this. He's got to have a certain discipline in his brain to where he's wired to do the right things, and that's where the coaching comes into play. So if I was coaching Jordan Cairo, uh, and I know the Blues are doing a great job of working with him situationally, every time that he made a solid smart hockey play within the five minutes at the end of the period, I'd have that clip. I'd put together eight, nine, 10, 11 clips of what it looks like, like when you're doing something right. Then you pick one or two where he didn't do it right. Mm-hmm. So now the player has a clear visual of what it looks like when he does the right play. He also has a clear visual of what he shouldn't be doing in those moments. And it's not just that the end of periods it could be anything. It could be a, a time where he's out on the ice on the road against McDavid and Dreisaitl because they have last change. How did he handle that situation? What was his style of play in that moment? Was he loosey-goosey? Was he high-risk? Or was he buckled down, competitive, keeping it along the wall and staying competitive? You know? So yep. you take the video and show him that. And this is where I think Jordan Cairo, the maturation process, getting back to that, he still has work to do. Because he said in the offseason that there's no real way to work on those areas of the game in the offseason because you can't recreate the game situation. Um, this is where I, I push back on Jordan Kyron's. Yes, there's plenty of ways. He was up in Toronto, worked his ass off, all that stuff. But we have Zoom now that you can just click a little button and it puts you in touch with your video coach. And your video coach can play video, highlight reels of your place and good place and bad place. And you can go over them together being in different countries. Jordan Kyron needs to get doing that. Mm-hmm. He needs to be proactive with his career from the extra work. So that almost seems like a young quarterback. Get in the video room. Learn what you're doing. Learn about what you're seeing from your team, what you're seeing from the opposition, how they're playing you. All of this stuff is, is are elements that Jordan Kyrou can use to his advantage. So I didn't like the fact that you know, kind of not really much you can do. I'll disagree with you on that one, Jordan, because today's technology gives you plenty of ways that you can continue to improve your game. And ultimately what Jordan Cairo has to do, he has to become a coach, his own coach. Once a player, and I can tell you this from my own experience, once a player becomes a coach and you have to explain things, you learn them. And that's exactly what I would have done with Jordan Cairo. What I would continue to do with Jordan Cairo is have these video sessions with him maybe once a week. Not long. Ten minutes, max. But after the first two weeks, he's running the session. 
So he comes in now. Here are all the clips, Jordan. I give them to you the, the day before. Tomorrow, we're going to have our video meeting. It's your meeting. You're going to tell me what you see, good, bad, whatever. Improvements, how the other team's playing you. Because that'll force Jordan Cairo to really, really watch the video, especially if he has to explain it to his coach. And once he starts explaining it, he's going to notice in his own game that it's going to take over. That coaching brain starts to become part of you as the player, and now you're just instinctively making the right plays. So for me, that's the next step for Jordan Cairo is being a coach and a critic of his own game so much so that he can explain it to the coaching staff as to how he can continue to improve and areas where he thinks he's really thriving. And when you get that version of Jordan Cairo, which hopefully is sooner than later, that's when you're going to have a really dangerous player that can put up 90 to 100 points, but also you have him out there at the end of every game without worrying because that speed is a weapon. It's an absolute weapon. And a guy that moves that fast takes away time and space from opposing players like no other. Mm-hmm. So defensively, he could become a real good player. But at the same time, the flip side of that is offensively, he's an absolute juggernaut. Expanding off what you said and talking about the situations, those game situations that you can't really create in the offseason, after hypothetically looking at this video, are there drills that players can can go off? I know you, you work with skills and whatnot, but are there drills that you can work on the offseason that can replicate what they need to do in late-game situations? Yeah, that's a tough one. For defensively, it's really mm-hmm. tough to recreate drills because it's more situational and it's more... Um, you know, identifying. Right. So it's hockey IQ over, you know, the actual motor skills mm-hmm. of it. So recreating a drill where you just pass to a guy and he chips it off the wall. I mean, he's an NHL hockey player. For he sure. should be able to do that. But I do feel that that's where the, the biggest amount of work can be done is recognizing. So it doesn't necessarily even have to be physical repetitions. It's all mental repetitions. And again, I'm going to, I'm going to, I will die on this sword that if you can turn Jordan Cairo into a version of a coach for himself, he will become a really, really dangerous player. He'll be solid defensively, and he'll be really dangerous offensively. That's Jamie Rivers. I'm Anthony Salter, Andrew Marsh. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. If you got a question for us, our sports six-pack is coming up next. So 314-399-9646. Again, 314-399-9646. Or you can send us a, a question on the YouTube channel page at 101 ESPN STL because we are back up on the YouTube channel. Sports 6, six back next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I have a question. It's time for the Fast Lane to answer your sports questions. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Asking me all these weird questions. Answer the question. Answer the question. Answer me! The Sports Six Pack is refreshed by Maggie O'Brien's. Your go-to Irish pub in St. Louis for over 42 years. With Jamie Rivers and Anthony Salter, it's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. Here's Andrew Marsh with your questions for the Sports Six Pack. All right, we were just talking about Jordan Cairo. We get a text from the 636. Jamie is spot on. Jiu-Jitsu is very similar once you coach situations in submission defense and uh, chaining. You become a technician situation at a different level. I wanted to ask you guys, have you guys ever done any type of jiu-jitsu or any type of martial arts in your life? Oh, yeah, I used to do it all the time. I was doing MMA a long time ago, probably... Well, 1994, 95, 
trained with a guy, his name was Dutch Melzer, who was a light heavyweight kickboxer. And he also was a uh, Marine. <clears throat> and so we started training, basically doing MMA, fighting. You know, not punching each other full throttle in the face, but getting after pretty good. The grappling was great, especially for like hockey fights. Yeah. Want to grapple with balance, counterbalance, tying guys up, the arms and all that stuff. And of course, you get a little more adventure. You start getting into some submissions and choke holds and arm bars and things like that. I absolutely love it. I love it. it it's a lot of fun. It's certainly it's, it can be dangerous too. But uh, yeah, I, it was a big part of my life for a long time. Question number two. From the 314, all I hear on this station from almost every show host out of all the shows is how bad the Brewers' offense is and that they're only surviving because of their pitching. But that bad offense always seems to put up points on the Cardinals and not just this season and not just against the Cardinals. So how in the hell do they have a bad offense? They don't. They have a great offense against Cardinals. (laughs) What? Who's on the bump today? For the Brewers? No, wasn't it? Wasn't it Moose? Yeah, it was Miles Michaelis going up against Wade Miley. Not great. Uh, Well, (laughs) the Brewers on paper don't have a scary offense. They've got a couple of guys that can bop. They Mm -hmm. don't have a scary offense, though. That's my opinion. I think that every host on this airwave, uh, on these airwaves, said that the Brewers had a bad offense because their offense in the postseason last year was historically bad. They put up, I don't know, some of the some of the 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 least amount of runs in a playoff series in MLB history or they're second to last or so what there's a reason for that. I think both things can be true. I think you can say the Brewers don't have a great offense and they come through in the clutch against the Cardinals. But if I'm looking at for example, just the, the Brewers this year in terms of WRC plus, and we'll just use that one statistic. They rank twenty fourth with a ninety one. They are nine percentage points below average for that one statistic. They don't have a great offense. They do rely on their pitching staff against the Cardinals. Do they do they come to play a little bit? Yeah, they have. So again, I think both things can be true. Question number three. Guys, thanks to Swan and a few other texters, we now know that Trayvon Diggs, according to sources, is reportedly out for the season after sustaining a torn ACL in practice. How big of a hit is this for the Cowboys? It's it's massive. It's a massive blow to the Cowboys. It's a massive blow to their defense. Their their top-rated defense, at least through the first, first two weeks. I mean, we're talking about one of the best ball-hawking corners in the league. He he has a knack for turnovers. It's such a cowboy thing to happen. I mean, kind of, yeah. Normally it happens to the Chargers, but... We have a Dak Prescott get injured. Like, it's always something yeah. with this Cowboys team. Yeah, it's never a small injury. No, it's it's catastrophic. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he had 18 interceptions, and he has 18 interceptions in 47 games. He led the league last year in in, a, in interceptions with, a, with 11 or two years ago, maybe it was. But the, yeah, this is, I mean, just a, a massive injury for the Cowboys. Can they overcome it? Yeah, I mean, this is... It, at the end of the day, you still have Micah Parsons. You still have a lot of those elements on defense that have made you what you are. But this is somebody that can turn the game around in a blink because of his, again, his ball hawking ability. 
Speaking of injuries, uh, apparently Wilson Contreras is going on the IL. With well, we're just shutting him ready down. They're calling tendonitis on his left wrist, but apparently he's banged up in a couple of different areas. Ollie was talking about it, so wow. his season will be officially over. So he joins Alec Burleson and Tyler O'Neill and Giovanni Gallegos. Dylan Carlson. Dylan Carlson just shutting everybody down. Uh, since we're talking about injuries, too, I just saw that Brace Young Jeez. for the Panthers will not play on Sunday. My He's goodness. dealing with an injury. He has not been all that great this year either. Yeah, the men sharp. No. He's a rookie. Not a lot around him, but. Not a lot of protection on that line. No. No. No running game. Not, I mean, why is he's throwing Adam Thielen. He don't have a lot around him. Mm. Offensive line wants him, seemingly wants him dead. Yes. They're doing a pretty good job at it right now. <laughs> Question number four. This one is from Disco Dave, and we will get into the Blues identity later in the show. But Disco Dave wants to know, I feel like the Blues are going to be a sleeper in the Central Division. What is going to be the most dangerous aspect of the Blues identity? So what's going to make them the most dangerous? Is that what I'm pulling out of this? I think it's their depth. I think that teams are going to find out if, you know, that's, that is assuming all players play up to their potential. And if that's the case, then you have four solid lines with a couple extra guys uh, up front where you're going to have tremendous amount of depth. And when you look at this lineup, you could easily say that you, you could have six or seven 20-goal scorers. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then that's the depth that you want. And if that's the case, you're going to win a lot of hockey games. You're going to be difficult to play against. And if you can establish your forecheck, if you can keep that puck down low and possess it for longer amounts of time, certainly offensive zone time, then that's going to play a big role in it as well. That's going to change things for you. You mentioned earlier that Sammy Blay, in your opinion, could be on the fourth line. I think others might think that he could be a, a top nine forward. Is it important for the Blues to have rotating pieces, though? You mentioned the depth. One guy can jump up from the fourth line and maybe one night could be on the first line. Yeah, I think it's important that players get rewarded for good play. I think that opportunity should actually be there. I think that Craig Berube, based on what I have seen and heard from him so far this training camp or just the the offseason here recently, that spots are up for grabs. And that doesn't mean like they're going to cut guys or trade guys. Just internally, if Sammy Blay is out there and he's your best option, he's putting the puck in the back of the net, could he find his way onto the second line? Yes, he can. Can a guy who goes cold for five, six, seven games or just not playing the right way, could he drop in the lineup? Yes, it's possible. Question number five. From the 636, what is Jamie most nervous about with his new position with Bally's? Huh. That's a good question. That's a very good question. I I don't know if nerves are quite there anymore. And I, I've said this before. It was nice to kind of get an opportunity to get my feet wet the last couple of seasons. With Panger doing work for TNT, it gave me, I think, 10 games last year, I think 14 games this year. So the nerves are kind of gone when it comes to that. I do remember having nerves the very first game because it was my first game doing that role and it was a home game so down between the benches you can't see your partner mm-hmm. you can't see john kelly we're in the booth if you see each other you can kind of eat you can even make a hand gesture like hey i've got something to say or yeah you know whatever or cue me up like develop you know, that chemistry yeah well i didn't and so the very first game i did was basically blindfolded and just kind of breaking down the game so the nerves were there a little bit for that because you want to make sure that you 
get in and get out. You don't want to be talking and then someone scores. That's the worst case scenario is when the analyst is talking and someone scores. Play-by-play guy, that's his call. They call it stepping on his toes. And so I was very cognizant of that too. So I'd make sure some of the time in my first game, I was very short with what I was saying until I could figure out how the flow of the game was and and certainly the cadence from John Kelly, like when he pauses to kind of give me the floor type thing. So that was kind of the nerves then. This year, it's just, I don't really know if it's nerves. It's more excitement. I'm excited to get going. I'm excited to, excited to do it every game. I felt like last year, towards the end of the season, with more games under my belt, that things started to flow a lot better. The chemistry between John Kelly and I got yeah. better, too. And so I'm excited for all those reasons. You're going to do great. Wow. You're, you're going to be great all year. <laughs> Somebody writes cussing. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I guess I'm maybe you're most nervous. You're used to not doing that, though. Well, I'll tell you what. When you're down between the benches and you see a guy being a a jerk from the other team, and uh-huh. like he's chirping or doing something or spears a guy like on the way to the bench on the line change, like my instincts last year, I almost chirped a guy last year. He was chirping. <laughs> he was chirping. I forget who it was, and I... I wanted. To, I had a great one for him too. I was going to leave him there in a puddle of his own blood. And I was like, "Oh my God, no! You can't do that, hey, idiot! You're you're on. T- you're the guy. You yeah, can't do that. Let's slow down here." So I pumped the brakes on that one. But uh, that's probably what I'm most nervous about is being caught up in the game, and then just like carving somebody up verbally. Are you maybe afraid of getting hit by a puck? No. No. Are you going to wear your your old time bucket? I don't wear any bucket down there. I've been hit in the face with the puck so many times. He knows what it feels like. I don't even care. There you It'd go. It'd be good content. <laughs> <laughs> Question number six. All right, guys, from the 636, what are your thoughts on Sports Illustrated calling Jack Flaherty a fan favorite? And let me read this. What, where? Yeah, on Sports Illustrated. I'm, I'm going to read. Mom's house? I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure his family loves him. I'm going to read the article title uh, from Sports Illustrated. Ex-Cardinals fan favorite reportedly demoted by contender after being traded away. So Okay, so the... Wait, what? Most? No, go ahead. Read it again. Ex-Cardinals fan favorite reportedly demoted <laughs> by contender after being traded away. Who that's either that? That's either snark, and if it is, <laughs> I got to hand it to it. That, that's some of the best snark that you're going to get. It's either snark or somebody wasn't paying attention to how the fan base in St. Louis felt about Jack Flaherty. I'm I'm gonna say snark. <laughs> I've never heard him called a fan favorite. No, like ever. Which is why I'm leaning snark. Yeah, it's well played if it is. Yeah, no kidding. All right, it's Fastlane on 101 ESPN. Kyle Hebert's gonna join us next. We'll talk to him about City SC's huge moment last night as they clinch a playoff berth in the MLS. Kyle Hebert next. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN with Jamie Rivers and Anthony Stolzer. Let's head to our celebrity line. We're joined by our guy, Kyle Hebert, defender for St. Louis City SC. And what a night it was last night for the club as it clinched an MLS playoff berth with a nil-nil draw against LAFC. What's up, Kyle? 
Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? It's going well. Congratulations to you and your teammates. I imagine that you know the the environment not only last night but after the game was great. What what's it like for you guys in your first season? to clinch a playoff spot and also have an opportunity still to to seek out home pitch advantage moving forward here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something very unprecedented that uh, a lot of people on the outside did not see coming. And, and to be honest, I don't know if, you know, even people on the inside saw that we would have this good of a start to the year. You know, we expected to be competitive. We expected to battle for a playoff spot, but I think we've uh, it's been fun just exceeding expectations, proving doubt is wrong, um, and doing that as a collective, as a unit. As a team, um, you know, you guys have had just a fantastic first season, but as a team, as you continue to proceed throughout the season here, are you guys now at the point where? You're just expecting to win, expecting to compete in every game. And what I mean by that is just at the start of the season, being a new team, you want to compete, you believe in yourself, but you're just you're not quite sure. And then as the season's progressed, you guys have picked up momentum, and now you're at a spot where you're still in first place this deep into the season. Like the belief has to be pretty high in that clubhouse. Yeah, no, for sure. The, the belief is there. The confidence is there, um, especially, especially home games at City Park. For the crowds behind us, we know it's going to be a tough, tough play uh, place to come for the opposition, and uh, I think that's that's finding you know fine tuning and finding that balance where we want to have that immense self belief, but we also don't want to get you know caught up in in too much of the noise and the hype because then you start to lose a little bit of what got you to that place in the first place. So I think we've been you know finding that balance throughout the year. Kyle Heber joining us right now on the fast line on 101 ESPN. Kyle, what what was said before? You know, I'm like, take us back to the first meeting with the coaching staff. They're they're outlining what the goals were for the season, expectations for you guys. Was any of this on the radar from your coaching staff in terms of making the playoffs and and being in a spot where you got 50 points? Yeah, to, to be honest, I think that the thing that Bradley stressed from the beginning and, you know, from the top down was that they wanted us to be a collective and that they wanted us to be competitive. So, you know, go out there and we're going to be competing and make sure we're competing in every game. And then actually before, I think we've talked about this before, but it's it's fun to reminisce back on our first game of the year at Austin away they chucked up for all of us to see all the analyst predictions. And I think maybe one of the 14 analysts didn't have us dead last in the league. Um, and then all of their comments as well. How is this team going to score any goals? You know, it's a team of nobodies. It's a team of rejects. Um, and so that was kind of that, that. I think that was, there was a lot of competition, a lot of talent. And then that was like the last little bit of fire that, that started the blaze that got the season off on the right start. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love hearing that stuff. Um, also, I, I love hearing just some of the individual successes, too. Uh, reading up today that Roman Berkey, who, I mean, he has been a rock star for you guys all season, but he was selected for the MLS team or all MLS team. Is, is that like first team all-star? Yes. Yes, that is. He's had a quite quite a year. I mean, we I feel like we talk about him after every game, but... For you guys in the locker room and just as part of the team, 
You know, how much confidence does it give you guys to have a guy like Roman Berkey back there in case things, you know, don't go according to plan? Yeah, I mean, he, he really does it all for us. You know, I, th- I find often we end up talking about, you know, his quality with his distribution as a goalie. I think he almost maybe had an assist to, to Nico, uh, you know, this last game, and then, you know, his ability as a shot stopper and goal. But then there's also the fact that we're a high-pressing team, and so we're high up the pitch, and you see him in these balls in behind, I think at least once or twice in the game, he's coming 30, 40 yards out of his goal, He's, he's sweeping up the mess behind us um, and just giving, you know, giving us a lot of confidence because if you're going to press high up the pitch, you need 11 guys dialed in to being on the front foot, and that includes your goalie. And so I think you know, just, I was even attuned to that last night. You know, Roman was just doing an excellent job there as well. Kyle, how much has your guys' approach changed throughout the course of the year? I know this was something that we had asked you at the first half of the, you know, the, first half of the season and say, hey, you guys play a certain way. Maybe it's not conducive to the St. Louis summer heat. How much really changed, or, or do do you guys just kind of you, you know what your identity is? It's the same. It's the same as it has been, uh, and that's what you're going to roll with throughout the course of the year, too. Yeah, I would say our our identity, our principles they they did not change game to game. Um, you know, within those identity and those principles, we've got room to tinker like we're not a team that's saying we're going to have to be in this formation pressing or we're going to we're going to start pressing um this high up we can press from deeper we can you know do do different stuff on the ball to get a breather as well um even though we want to be dynamic in transition and so um you know the big thing for us that i would say with our identity is that once we're going once one guy's like yep i'm going here's a trigger we all want to go and so whether that's from the top of their 18, from, you know, the top of the, the circle near half, from halfway in our half, like when one guy hits the trigger, that's our identity. Those are our principles. We all want to follow and be, be together. So from, from that standpoint, I would say, no, it didn't change, but it was, um, you know, different tactical nuances were, were thrown in there to, you know, protect us, you know, in, in the heat and in those really hot months. Kyle, I want to go back to just the fans here uh, for a second, and City Park in particular. I, I know that you know when I played, I always knew people on other teams, and you know you talk to each other whether it's pregame, postgame, and you kind of chit chat. But what is it about City Park that, first of all, that you feel gives you guys an advantage, and what is it about City Park that opposing players just hate about playing? <laughs> Yeah, I would say momentum. You know, the ability of the crowd to sh- to shift momentum, especially, I think we've seen it this year, especially when we score an early goal. And we score an early goal, and the crowd's noise is deafening. And the opponent, you know, they were feeling, you know, the, the pitch, the interesting part is soccer fields don't have to all be the same size. And so our field is a little bit um, shorter than other fields to help us as we press. But then it feels like when we score an early goal and the crowd gets behind us, for the opposition, it almost seems like the field gets even smaller and the space gets even more compressed. And uh, it, it, I think that just takes away, you know, their composure on the ball, which aids us tremendously. I'm interested. I, I, maybe you don't know this, Kyle, but how, how much different can it be from pitch to pitch? 
And do you have to be aware of that yeah. as you as you go into these these road stadiums? Yeah, no, you'll you'll kind of walk on and you'll see. I mean, it's not like it varies a, a huge amount. I want to say, I could be wrong. Fields can be anywhere from seventy two to seventy four uh, to eighty yards wide. Um, and then anywhere maybe from like 114 to 120 yards long. Hmm. Um, and then you have fields within – it's something like that with those specifications. You'll walk on to certain fields and you go, oh, this feels narrow. And usually you check – for narrowness, you'll check the where the 18 ends. There's a, a white hash from the corner flag that shows, okay, this is 10 yards from the corner flag. And then how close that is to the edge of the 18-yard box, which is 44 yards wide, that's that's your big indicator of oh, this is this field is is wider or less wide than other fields. And then lengthwise, you're, you're usually you know that's more like just looking. I don't have a specific uh, measure for that, but you can kind of feel um, get a feel for that as well. That's cool, Kyle. Great stuff, man. We appreciate you coming on. Congratulations again to you and your teammates for clinching a playoff spot last night. And we're certainly looking forward to Saturday's match when you guys take on Minnesota. And hopefully, we get a chance to talk to you again soon here in the fast lane. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. We appreciate you. Kyle Hebert here in the Fast Line on 101 ESPN. That's pretty cool. Your playoff team, baby. Playoffs. All right. But that, that was, Jamie, I, I remember you talking about that with the different ice dimensions, too. Oh, yeah. When it came to the NHL. I don't think it's the same way now. No, everybody now has a standard rink. Yeah. But back in the day, <laughs> like the Boston Bruins, the Buffalo Sabres, they had uh, Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens, like some of these places. The Boston Garden used to feel like you were playing inside of like this studio really and they'd have just knuckle draggers everywhere you had nowhere to turn to no time to think no time like, to run oh nothing yeah i mean chicago too the old stadium it's just everything was different and some days man you get up to you and be like oh boy there is nowhere to hide out here tonight yeah doesn't matter how fast you are. You're going to the boards tonight on a regular basis. <laughs> so it made a big difference, but they built their teams to accommodate that yeah. way. So what's what's interesting about what Kyle says is that this team was kind of built for the design of their pitch, too. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by built is players plus systems to accommodate to make it feel really bad for the opposition. It, right. it kind of explains a little bit of the 10-3 and three here at home. Yeah. As far sure. as, you know, th- that is a big advantage. Right. This is why guys like Taylor Twelman on the balloon party talk about all the time that if City SC can get that home pitch advantage throughout the playoffs, mm. I, like, it's not crazy to think that they might have, like, some serious success. We need to, we need to, like, nickname it Death Valley, you know, or something. Death Valley. Yeah. Just one of Death Valley. Hell's Kitchen or something, you know? Hell's Kitchen. Okay. All right. Welcome to hell. Welcome to hell. We'll be your tour, tour guide. I mean, I don't hate it. I feel like it's been used before, but I don't hate well, it. That's what I'm saying. Something like it. Oh, I thought you were going with that. Well, no. I threw out Death Valley. Then I threw out Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. You know. Okay. Then, then I had the tagline for you. Welcome to hell. We'll be your tour guide. Welcome I mean, to the Thunderdome. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Something yeah. with either death or hell in it, I think, is going to be interesting. Yeah. I think so, too. Okay. Okay. I feel that you're lukewarm on it, kind of like well, the, like the clear camp. original. But... I'll keep working out some ideas to yeah, pitch to you. And, work it out a little bit. Yeah, we'll get there, Jamie. We'll get there both on the uh, 
the, the, the nickname for City yeah. Park as well as the Clear Camp. What is the identity for your St. Louis Blues in 23-24? Well, we've talked about this in, uh, a couple of different times, a couple of different ways. Has anything uh, changed since the last time we talked about that? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Craig can explain this. It has to be based off work ethic and consistency and pride. That that has to be at the forefront of everything we do, not only today, but moving forward. You're going to have good things are going to happen to you in a season. It's going to hit the post and go in. The referee is going to give you a call that maybe the other team didn't think, and it's going to work out. But ultimately, you have to have a foundation that you can always rely on. And I think our foundation cracked last year, and now we have to get back and build that back up. It is a new era. We have to take responsibility for building the foundation and building it back up. Doug Armstrong earlier today at the press conference when he was asked on what the identity for the 2023 Blues will be with Jamie Rivers and Anthony Stalter. Identity has been kind of a key word for our show over the last, I don't know, couple of days here. And we talked about it last week, too, with this Blues team. And you said last week you detailed it and uh, it, you know, it was great stuff. You talked about the, the heavy four check. Well, you heard yeah. what Army said. Does this come down to competition created by having guys that are battling for these final roster spots, Jamie. So let's just dive back is that into part of the identity. Well, yeah, of course it is. Compete. What Chief says it every week on this show. Compete, compete, compete. Yeah. I mean, I, I, if we had a scorecard, it'd be full mm-hmm. at this point. And I think that you know what Army's talking about is work ethic and all these things. These are an identity from um, you know physical traits, as far as like what it's going to take in order to have a heavy forecheck to be more um, physical defensively, take away the middle of the ice, all these things, ultimately comes down to effort and compete. That's it. Any system can be successful or unsuccessful based on the level of compete and execution. Yeah. And so for the St. Louis Blues, this year, pride is another word Army used. It, it It's huge. You have to be. You have to be proud. And what that means is that you get on the ice every day and you give everything you possibly have you leave it out there man that's how you build the culture and identity of the team so that's kind of where i'm at with that now as far as competition's concerned i know we have some audio from army on competition for ice time and roster spots this year mm-hmm. let's hear what he has to say about that before we comment we have a lot of competition and and that's one of the things that i said when i started we talked about yesterday is that equity has been been used so we have competition to make the team we have competition where you're going to play on the team and that that goes up the lineup too so because you were you were a top six player or or asked to do this in the past you have to re-earn that and I have a a ton of confidence but I think competition is uh, again when you when you have an unsuccessful season and you come back in and you don't think there's competition then then that's certainly not going to change so there is competition from every part of our group that's the biggest thing right there and Army said something uh, last week in talking with him, he said it before, but he, he doubled down on it. He said, listen, the players have lost their equity with the management and coaching staff. And all he means by that is what you did before no longer matters. Yeah. So maybe it held water last year. Maybe you got an extra opportunity. Maybe you got an extra power play time because of what you did before. Maybe you're on the penalty kill because of what you did before because we know what you really are as a player. Army said that the, all bets are off. 
that this year they're rebuilding their equity right now. It started today. And I think that that's important. I think they have to hold strong with that. Because the moment they bend or break on that, that's when you lose that competitiveness throughout your roster. That's when you lose some of the guys that think at that point, well, there's no chance I'll ever get on the power play. It doesn't matter how many goals I score. They just keep playing so-and-so. You know, And that does happen. It does. So the the Cardinals, if you hit, you play, that whole motto. Yeah. For Army and Chief, I think it's if you compete, you play mm-hmm. this year. And there's lots of flexibility within that lineup. We talk about the depth. The fourth line uh, is a third line on most teams in the NHL. So if you're going to move guys up and down your lineup, this is the year that they can do that. They have the staff to do it as far as the players are concerned. And you have to have that mentality. You have to have that compete first mentality if you're going to turn things around, even in the slightest, let alone make the playoffs. We do need a new gauntlet contestant. So if you want to text in now to 314-399-9646, again, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Text in now just the word gauntlet. If you want to play in the gauntlet, you can take on uh, either Marsh, Jamie, or myself coming up in about uh, five minutes or so. But, Jamie, I I think that when it comes to the players being on the outside looking in, uh, based on previous play and all that, uh, there there is a bit of a even though the, the roster is, is 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 the same in a lot of regards, there is kind of a clean slate for for Chief, and I'm kind of excited for that uh, because you he now you know sometimes you you when you're when you're winning a lot, you're winning you're winning winning you don't have a lot to coach you don't have a lot to teach but when you lose goes back to what Matt Holiday was saying earlier about when you're struggling then you're almost more. Um, understanding or accepting of coaching so he could point back to last year and say this wasn't good enough on all fronts we need to get better in this area do you guys did you guys like missing the playoffs because i didn't and and you can almost wipe the the slate clean that way so i'm excited to see what this coaching staff does this year yeah i am too and i think that chief is all business it's not that he hasn't been all business before but there's just something different going into his season following a season that wasn't successful. Mm-hmm. There's something there. And Chief is a competitive dude. You don't play as many games in the NHL as he has, the way he played them, and then coach as many games as he has and win a Stanley Cup without wanting to be successful, without wanting to hold people accountable. So this is a big season for everybody. All right, we have the gauntlet coming up next in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Three warriors, four categories, one challenger. Can you master the gauntlet? Brought to you by Master, your hometown source for business communications for more than 30 years. Visit Mastor.com. Time for the gauntlet here in the Fastlane on 101 ESPN, where it is 402. Your time check is brought to you by Collection Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We welcome in Matt. What's up, Matt? Oh, not a lot. How are you guys doing? We're doing great today. Good. First time in the gauntlet? Yes, sir. All right, excellent. Well, welcome uh, well, welcome into the show. Appreciate you listening. Would you like to take on Andrew Marsh, Jamie Rivers, or me in the gauntlet today? I think I'm going to go Jamie since he got the call up to the big time with the Blues. Oh, oh wow. there you go! You're gonna take down, right. gonna take down the big dog. I like it. Yes, sir. All right, Matt. Mm-hmm. Good luck, buddy. Thanks, Jamie. All right, Jamie's gonna make his way into the cone of silence. Matt, go ahead and tell Marsh to spin the wheel. Let's see what you get today. Spin the wheel, Marsh. What are we hoping for, Matt? 
Uh, not hockey. <laughs> not hockey. You got three different categories, and the damn wheel spun hockey. Oh. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that, Matt. So, uh, Jay, um, Marsh is going to get the the questions here for us. Get the launch codes. Jamie's in the cone of silence. Four questions. Thank you, Marsh. Four questions. Of course. To Matt. Four questions. Same four questions to Jamie. All hockey. If you need the options, Matt, those questions are worth one point. If not, those questions are worth two points. Are you ready? I'm ready. Who played in the most games in NHL history? Who played in the most games in NHL history? Um, so I'm going to need to score high here since we're against Jamie in hockey. I'm going to shoot Dominic Hasek. Okay. Final answer? Final answer. Question number two. Who was recently announced the captain of the Winnipeg Jets? Options. Is it Adam Lowry, Josh Morrissey, or Mark Shifley? Adam Lowry. Final answer. Question three. Ken Hitchcock coached the Blues, the Stars, the Flyers, the Oilers, and which other team? Hmm, thinking Blackhawks, but uh, options. Sharks, Blue Jackets, Flames. Good thing I asked for the options. Um, let's go Flames. Final answer? Final answer. Question number four. Current Seattle Kraken Philip Grubauer began his career with which team? Options. The Carolina Hurricanes, the Colorado Avalanche, or the Washington Capitals? Uh, Washington Capitals, final answer. All right, we'll bring back Jamie from the Cone of Silence. Matt, how are you feeling? Oh, not great. Not great, okay. The wheel didn't do you any favors here. Rarely nope. does. All right, Jamie's walking in right now. He's putting on his earbuds. Jamie, how's it going in silence? I was, it was active today. Yeah. Sat down to talk to uh, Mike Ryder, then Matthew Chambers came in and discussing some events that we're going to be doing and some stuff for tomorrow night. Blues. And Bruce. And Bruce. Yeah. We're giving away a Jordan Cairo signed jersey tomorrow. Shut the front door. Yeah, so a lot of corporate stuff, Anthony. It's yeah. a little bit above you and me, for that matter. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> all right, Jamie, you ready? Oh, I'd Matt do. Oh, you better pack a launch. Okay, all right. Your category today, Jamie, yeah. is hockey. Really? Yep. Oh, boy. Question number one. Who played in the most games in NHL history? Who played in the most games in NHL history? Wow. The most games in NHL history. Okay, so the easy one you think is Gordie Howe. Um, but I'm wondering if... Your guy, Mr. 3000. I wonder if he got in there. Yager. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Anthony. Um, <laughs> oh, man. You'd think I'd know this. I just, I really don't. I know the options. It's going to be Gordie Howe, like Yarmer Yager, and like Mark Messier or something silly like that. Um, I'm going to go with Gordie Howe. Because Yager played a bunch of years in the Russian League and then again in the Czech League, currently playing, suited up today. 
He's got to get to 3,000. He's working on it. Go with Gordy Howe. Final answer. Question number two. Who was recently announced the captain of the Winnipeg Jets? Oh, my God. Uh... I'm drawing a blank. I see his face, too. Give me the options, damn it. Options are Adam Lowry. That's it. Josh final Morrissey. Answer. Mark Shifley. Adam Lowry, final answer. All right, Jamie, question number three. Ken Hitchcock coached the Blues, Stars, Flyers, Oilers, and which other team? Columbus Blue Jackets. Final answer. Question number four. Current Seattle Kraken, Philip Grubauer, began his career with which team? Wow. Current what? Say that again. Current Seattle Kraken, Philip Grubauer, began his career with which team? Well, I know he was in Washington. Is that where he started? I don't know. Give me the options, please. Options are the Carolina Hurricanes, Colorado Avalanche, or Washington Capitals. I'll go with Washington Capitals. Final answer. All right, let's go over these today. Adam, uh, Matt versus Jamie. Excuse me, Matt versus Jamie here in the gauntlet today. Who has recently announced the captain of the Winnipeg Jets? That's why I said Adam. Matt, you said Adam Lowry. Jamie, you said Adam Lowry. Correct answer is? It is Adam Lowry. Both of you guys did need the options, though, so it's a 1-1 tie. Mm. Both of you guys needed those options. 1-1 tie. Current Seattle Kraken Philip Philip Grubauer began his career with which team? Jamie, you went with the Washington Capitals. Matt, you went with the Washington Capitals. Correct answer is? It is the Washington Capitals. Both of you needed the options. Mm. So we have a 2-2 tie. Nice job, Matt. Ken Hitchcock coached the Blues, Stars, Flyers, Oilers, and which other team? Jamie, you went with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Matt, you took the options. You went with the Flames. Correct answer is... It is the Columbus Blue Jackets. So Jamie's got a 2-0 lead. It comes down to this. I'm sorry, a uh, 4-2 lead. A two-point lead, I should say. Who played in the most games in NHL history? You both have different options. You both decided not to use the options. You both have different answers. Oh, okay. Different answers. Excuse me, I think it op- I said options twice there. Yeah. You both have different answers. Neither of you used the options. Jamie, you went with Gordie Howe. Mm-hmm. Matt, you went with Dominic Hoshik. If it's Dominic Hoshik, Matt ties Jamie, and we're going to a walk-off. If it's Gordie Howe, or literally anybody else that has ever played hockey, <laughs> Jamie wins today. Matt? You have chosen... Poorly. You lose. <laughs> Jamie won four to two. Did your guy Yogs? It was Anthony's guy, Patrick Marlowe. Patrick oh, Marlowe. Sh- schnooks. I forgot about that. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Now I wish I would have taken the options. That would have jarred the hamster in the wheel. You were right. It was Gordy Howe, Yarmir Yager, and somebody weird, right? Or crazy or whatever Just you said. that you don't somebody, think of yeah. a lot. And Patrick yeah, of Marlowe. Of course, your guy. 
It's not my guy. Yeah, Matt's yeah, captain for years. Two two of Anthony's guys on my the goodness. on the list. Okay, Matt, you got your four to two. Sorry, bud. No worries. Look forward to hearing Jamie for the Blues games anyway. There Thank you, you go, Matt. Good I man. appreciate Thanks, it. Matt. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening. Bud. Thanks, bud. All right, there you go. Nice job, Jamie. That was closer than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, th- some of those are tough. Yeah. Like when you talk about players where they play, sometimes you forget. Like a lot of people forget that Braden Shin was an LA King. Oh, was he? Yeah. Like then they don't think about that. You don't. Mm, like yeah. The guy's got like. We did learn that though in the gauntlet. Yeah. We did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If somebody has a game played, like even two games played somewhere mm-hmm. random, then they get traded or whatever happens. Sure. Sometimes you don't remember that. So. It's tough to remember that. Very tricky. <laughs> it's just very, it's sneaky. Very, very sneaky. Very sneaky. <laughs> it is difficult though when when you have a guy that's played three thousand games. Yeah, to not to not think choose it's him. him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's definitely played three thousand games in his life. That's yeah, that's what I, mean, I thought maybe. you guys were asking me that day. Mm. You know, as a kid, he probably played yeah. a bunch. I thought, wow, three thousand. Been confused with with the tiebreaking yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, we. We should provide more clarity, I think, sometimes. Sure. Chris Carver's going to join us next. We'll talk to him about his observations as the Blues are on the ice for the first time for training camp today. Uh, More with the play-by-play man for the Blues next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, the Blues got things going today with their first training camp practice. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Anthony Salter. It's Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. And joining us to talk about the Blues is the uh, play-by-play man for your St. Louis Blues right here on the Blues Radio Network 101 ESPN. He is Chris Kerber. What's up, Kerbs? Anthony, how are you guys today? Are you, have, you been, have you been on like cloud nine all day today, Kerbs, with their, their actual being hockey being played uh, in anticipation for the new season? Yeah, it's a little reminder how close it is, how much work you got to get going with us, uh, you know, broadcasting the doubleheader uh, over the weekend on Saturday, which is good. And, uh, but, yeah, it was, it, it was great to see and uh, go into the room and talk to some guys and kind of get a feel for, you know, the excitement that they have right now, and that really pumps you up. Curbs, a lot is being talked about with this roster and Army on record today saying that there's, you know, active competition for roster spots from a sense of within the group more so than outsiders coming in. But there are certain guys like Nick Ritchie, who's outsider looking in right now, looking for a roster spot. In your opinion, you know, how much competition do you think there truly is? I think there is legit competition, in my opinion, for I think, I think three forwards and two defensemen, uh, the, the way I look at it. Because as much as you want to say, and by the way, what Army said to the media today, he said pretty much the exact same thing to the players in the player meeting last night. So, you know, it's the one thing about Doug Armstrong. He doesn't mince words to anybody, and he wants to see competition. And, and I talked to Jake Neighbors about just even the intensity of day one today. But if, if you really look at the numbers, you know, our Army can say, okay, look, the top six is, is set. Okay, well, does that mean – does that mean Braden Shen's on the wing in the top six and Kevin Hayes is in the middle? Because if Braden Shen's in the middle, then the centerman on the third line with Kevin Hayes is set, right? Um, and and there are some things along those lines. I think where the competition's going to come is 
a guy like Nick Ritchie comes in, scoring 13 goals last year, will is a prototypical fourth line four checker like Craig Berube wants and needs, right? So does Mackenzie McEachern let Nick Ritchie take his spot? Does Alexi Toropchenko fight his way into the top nine? Does he stay on the fourth line? What happens there? Like, there's going to be some competition, and I do think in the end. In the end, there may be a player or two that are on one-way contracts that think, okay, this is great, i got a one-way contract, that still could find themselves on waivers and, and potentially in the minors. Curbs, Jamie was talking about this yesterday. I found it interesting because Jamie was talking about uh, some, some of the comments maybe made by uh, Doug Armstrong about you know last year when this team had a lot of guys on expiring contracts, it, it may have led to – some of the issues that we saw, maybe not early on, but as the season start to wore on, you know, wore on, uh, wear on, that the you know guys playing on one of your one of your deals, they start thinking about, okay, well, you know, I'm still about the team, but I also need to get my points so that you know I get a contract in the off season. What what are your thoughts on that? I think that there is something to it. I get the sense in talking to both Doug and talking to Craig Ruby about this that. In the end, when they did their full assessment and kind of entire debrief of the season, was that the only factor for the way the season, you know, uh, unwound? No. Was it a factor in the end? I think in the end that they decided that yes, it was. And and the, I mean, the way the comment was made to to me was we might have underestimated that impact a little too much, you know. And, and because in the end, you know, remember how that season started and. You know they're trying to get Robert Thomas more playing time, and Ryan O'Reilly's not getting it. But then the, not getting some of that ice time. But then the turnaround and the, to get back to 500 happened when they gave Ryan O'Reilly that ice time. There, the, the roles never truly got defined last year, and that's an unsettling thing I think for a player that's on an expiring contract, especially if they're thinking, hey, this is my last one, and it could be five to six or whatever. Um, I, I think, I think this year, the fascinating part to, to me, Anthony, is going to be. You still have some scenarios like that. Now, it's not to a Ryan O'Reilly and to a Vladimir Tarasenko and to an Ivan Barbashev, but it is to a Sammy – or oh, I keep saying Sammy Kappen. That was his dad. It is, it is to Kasperi Kappen. It, it is to, uh, to Jacob Barana. And, uh, and we are going to figure out, decide whether or not we're saying Jacob or Yakub yet. We're going to ask him to get that one settled. But the, the, the point is, is I, I think Craig Berube also said, look – one of the things he learned, and Jim, you were in a meeting when we asked him about this. You know, one of the things he learned is he might handle some things differently, and he didn't want to get into specifics in terms of exactly what. I do think that one of the areas he was talking about was, hey, look, I'm, I'm not going to worry about players' feelings too much. If somebody's not performing, I'm going to handle it a certain way, and I don't care if people get mad at me. And, and I think that we will see whether or not, like as, as this season rolls on, successful or not, We'll see which exactly of those lessons uh, you know were learned from that scenario last year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and curves, we do. I don't know if we have it on like direct record, but Jacob Verana did cut a spot for us here at 101 ESPN, okay. and he called himself Jacob Verana. Hmm. So yeah, so that's key. You know, I'm going to lean that way. Yeah. I know talking to him last year. He did say that uh, everybody calls him Jacob. He likes Jacob, but you know the real pronunciation is Yaku, but nobody calls him that. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think we're going to end up sticking to Jacob. Curbs, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, another storyline for this club uh, this season is where does Scott Perunovich 
fit in. And obviously with Tory Krug going down with an injury, it looked like there would be a window for Scott Perunovic to kind of get maybe more of a look in a lot of situations that Tory Krug would play. Krug back out on the ice today. Army says that that's come along really well. In your opinion, is there a scenario for an extended period of time where you could see Perunovic and Krug in the lineup at the same time? It's it's hard for me to see that. It's hard for me to see that when you've got more size in Callie Rosen, you've got more size in Tyler Tucker and, and Robert Bortuzzo. So I just, my initial gut, Jamie, I mean, and this is one you really wish you had the crystal ball on, right? And, and I did shake, you know, my daughter's magic eight ball the other night on this one, and it didn't help you. It, it, it said, ask me later, right? Of course it did. Yeah, yeah. Perfect answer. Try again yeah. later. So, but, but I think it, the, the, the challenge is, is if you're going to assume that the top four D are set, and the top four D being Letty, Krug, Falk, and Pareko, okay, you've got Scandella in there, okay, as a, as a, as a number five. That leaves you with Fortuzo, Tucker, Rosen, Perunovic, all battling for number six. Now, as you well know, injuries tend to sort this self out, and most NHL teams seem to use nine, maybe ten defensemen at any given year. So there will be opportunity, but how much of that opportunity is there may truly depend on the health of those other defensemen, number one, or a move made by Doug Armstrong that opens up a spot. And, and I'm not convinced that a, a move defensively isn't going to be necessary just because of the one-way contracts and how many defensemen they've got. I, I think they need to have the youthful toughness and, you know, maybe a little cockeyed look every now and then of Tyler Tucker in that lineup. Um, you know, Perunovic is a power play player, you know, that, that has to be a quick puck-moving defenseman. Um, and he's such a such a, a nice young man and a good, loyal Loyal, you know, individual. The hockey smarts are there, obviously, having won a Hobie Baker. It's just he's going to have to really fight hard to get that chance and then still may need a little luck on top of it. That that one's a really hard one to handicap. Curbs, are you ready to, to do – you mentioned this before. Are you ready to, to, to call the two games there, game one, pregame 12, uh, game two, pregame 6 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN uh, on on yeah. Saturday? I mean, this, this is going to be this is going to be fun, or Sunday, I should say. Yeah, this this is this is actually kind of cool because it, it hasn't been done in the you know in, in the history of the franchise here. So with the split squad game, the two o'clock game here in St. Louis, and then the seven o'clock game in Wichita, uh, Joey and I are staying behind and doing the first game. Alex Ferrario is going to do yeoman's duty; he's hosting pregame, right? Uh, we're going to bridge the gap with more hockey talk. So it'll be basically from one o'clock all the way through the second game, straight hockey on on one hundred and one ESPN, and then Andy Zilch, a St. Louisan, that's called about 10 years of minor league hockey. Andy's going to do play-by-play of the game from Wichita. Matt Lashoff is going to be the analyst for that game. And uh, it'll, it'll be fun listening to those two work together. So a hockey doubleheader on Saturday for, to kick off the preseason, I think, is pretty pretty doggone cool and is exactly why you know we, we, we are on 101 ESPN because of those opportunities and why extending that deal with them for five years was so important to, uh, to both sides. It's it, 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 I think it just does a great service to the hockey fans in St. Louis. Curbs, lastly, uh, 
Blues and Bruce, tomorrow night, I we're excited. Fastlane's going to be down there broadcasting from 2 to 6, and then obviously all the festivities to follow. Uh, for any of the listeners right now who haven't purchased a ticket yet, you know, what can they look forward to seeing tomorrow night? Yeah, go to stlouisblues.com, get your tickets for this. They're only 20 bucks. Get a free Bud Light or bottle of water uh, you know, with that. Uh, there's giveaways of T-shirts, some hats, and other things. It's just going to be a celebration. It's a Fans may remember the icebreaker events that we've done at, at Ballpark Village, and and this is going to be that. Uh, you know, there's a, a ton of people already coming. The parking is easy. The backdrop is going to be the brewery, which is just fantastic. Bud Light's a, a fantastic sponsor of this. Uh, we'll have Marquise Knox playing. In between Marquise Knox and Chris Lane, a country artist, uh, we're going to be on stage uh, introducing some of the, uh, well, uh, Bernie Federico is going to present Kevin Hayes with his First official blues jersey, that great tradition we started about six or seven years ago with Bobby Plager when he gave it to Paul Stastny and Ben Bishop. And then uh, and and we'll have you, we'll have Jordan Bennington and Craig Berube, Braden Shen, and, and others uh, on stage as we entertain in between the musical. It's really just going to be a hockey party of music and blues and brews at the same time and, uh, and a great way to kick off uh, the start of camp and head into the regular season. I already say, you're, you're already in midseason form. Curbs, because you, you did the, the the double the triple B there, and you just kept going blues, Bruce. Yeah, I had to keep track in my head. Something. That was harder than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well Curbs. done. We'll see you. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, guys. See you tomorrow night. All right, that's Chris Kerber here in the fast lane on one hundred and one ESPN. Don't forget Saturday Blues Coyotes game one. It's a split. It's a split game doubleheader. Split split roster. Uh, split squad. Split squad. Thank you. Sp- split squad. Uh, doubleheader on Saturday, Blues and Coyotes game one with the pregame at 12, and then Blues-Coyotes game two pregame at six, followed, of course, by the on-ice action. So, looking forward to it. It's great, man. Hockey's Hockey, back, baby. Hockey's back. That's right. Let's go. Let's play hot take or hot garbage. Oh. If you got a hot take or you think it's a hot take, and uh, we'll, we'll classify it, whether or not it's a hot take or hot garbage. Text in 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Hot take or hot garbage next. Back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, as Marsh just noted, time to play Hot Take or Hot Garbage, 314-399-9646, or you can check us out on our YouTube channel. We're back, baby. We're back. We're back at 101 ESPN SDL if you want to watch us on YouTube. Marsh, go. Yes, Hot Take. This is the last season we see Justin Fields as a full-time starter in the NFL. I don't, I don't think that's hot garbage at all. I think that's, I think that's a hot take. I think it's possible. If he doesn't show that he's, that, that he's developing into a passer, yeah, he'll be on an NFL roster. But you, you think about quarterbacks that were number one overall picks or number two overall picks that had a difficult time becoming full-time starters again in their next spot. I, you know, Marcus Mariota comes to mind. He was dumped by the Titans. He goes to the Raiders. He was used almost like a gadget guy for a little while. Goes to the Falcons last year after they traded traded Matt Ryan to the Colts, and he still didn't finish a full season because they, they were like, okay, you're done. We've seen enough here. So I don't think that's hot garbage at all. If Fields does not show that he can he can be a passer, Jamie, what what more can teams do? Yeah, uh, that's a dumpster fire, by the way, right now up in Chicago with the Bears. 
Wow. So much going on there that, honestly, my head was spinning trying to keep track of everything. And at this point, if I'm the Chicago Bears, I'm tanking. I'm tanking this season. Justin Fields is not the guy. He's not the guy. You tank, you go get that number one pick, and you go take what's-his-name from USC, Caleb Caleb Williams. Williams. Provided he comes out, yeah. Money does a lot of crazy things to people. (laughs) Picking money now. True. But that that would be my play. Then Justin Fields, you just move on from him. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not working. You turn him into a team that's desperate, and there's going to be plenty of them. There'll be enough teams that need a quarterback at some spot. and Somebody (laughs) always feels like they can reinvent the wheel. I can fix them. Oh, yeah, always. You're going to get a team that's, oh, we, we can fix them. Our coaching staff, they know what they're doing. So, hot take on that one. Yeah. From a 618 hot take or hot garbage, Miles Michaelis is your 2024 ace. I feel like there's a little stank on that one. Wow. Let's hope not. Let's let's hope that's hot garbage. Okay, so let's define ace. Is he starting opening day? He can't be, Anthony. He can't be. Who is going to? I, but he, it can't be him. It he can't be. If he will. is, if Who he is, is then, going to. If he is starting opening day next mm-hmm. year, it's because. Mo and the DeWitts failed miserably. That's correct. I don't like where you're headed. If they sign several uh, mid-range starters. Opening day or Cardinals home opener? No, I'm saying opening day. Because that's the guy you want Your number one to is represent. I don't think he will. I think they'll have to. They'll, ha- they'll get somebody better than him. Ha- have to. Especially after the season he's having. If they don't, I'm going to be irate. How much do you really believe that the Cardinals are going to get somebody better than him? I don't. He's not been good this year. No. I understand that. What I'm saying is they're not going to get an ace either. They're not They're not going to sign Noel. You don't believe, Anthony. This is the problem. Okay? You blamed our listeners a long time ago for not believing enough. I didn't blame them. I, po- I simply pointed no, out a fact. Them. You pointed at them. I'm well, gonna do the same. Hold, to you. You're on. gonna screw this up because you don't believe enough, and I'm, that's gonna be the problem. Are we doing the pointing and the finger thing again? I'm not. Yeah, we're all pretty... fingering. Because so I got I got three fingers pointing at Jamie right now. You know. Yeah. Okay. And one at and one at you. <laughs> Why are you doing that? Because we're pointing at each other. I thought uh, we were pointing fingers. Listen, first. Jamie, first of all, what you come into the like the defense of the listener? I am. Let's remember. Someone has to protect them from you. Let's okay. Let's remember. First of all, the listeners are doing just fine on their own. All right. Let's remember that the listeners attacked us for merely suggesting that Juan Soto was available in a trade, and maybe the Cardinals kicked the tires on it. They said, "Oh, you said it was he was coming. You lied to us." Did the same thing with Matthew Kachuk. And we heard this over and over and over again. So finally, yeah, I stepped up. And I put the blame right back on them. Oh, boy. But now you're doing the same thing. Yeah. I like it. I don't like it. I've seen the track record. I know. That's why I don't like you bringing it into the universe. They're because gonna, it's a possibility. They're going to get two two starters. One that we're all going to like. One that we're going to be like, ah, and then they're gonna. Then it's going to be an internal option. And Miles Michaelis is going to be starting game one for you next year. 
By the way, Cardinals Bad start season and all. They start off on the West Coast, four games against the Dodgers, three against go. the Padres before they take on the Marlins. It's going to be at my, home. It's going to be Miles McCullis versus Walker Bueller in that debut. No, no, I refuse to believe that. Okay, mm. then then who's starting? Who's starting? Who's starting game one for the Cardinals? Call your shot. Sonny Gray. Okay. You know I like Sonny Gray. I know, but that's that's the... See, I'm not even silly enough to say Aaron Nola or Blake mm-hmm. Snell because I know that that's probably not a possibility. Yeah. I'll go Sonny Gray. I feel like the Cardinals feel like, that's our guy. We went and got Sonny Gray. He'll be starting. Okay. From the 618, hot take or hot garbage. The Chargers could only win six games this year. Oh, wow. I have to look at the schedule here. Man. They, uh, not a great start for the Chargers. I'm going to still say that's hot garbage. Hot garbage, but also with the thought that I I might screw this one up. I mean, they've got the Raiders twice. They play the Bears. They play the Jets. They play the Patriots. They, uh, they give the Chiefs trouble, so maybe they split split the two games with the Chiefs. To me right now, as I look at it, they've got nine wins that I... That's nine obvious ones that I see. Nine obvious ones? Well, they're going to beat... I think they'll beat the Vikings. Okay. They'll beat the Raiders. Cowboys-Chiefs, I think they lose both of those games, mm-hmm. even though they give them fits. And you get the Bears, that's a win. The Jets is a win. I think the Lions is up for grabs. I think they beat the Packers. They beat the Patriots, the Broncos, the Raiders... The Broncos again. That's right. They got Denver twice. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I think that I think they get to like the the nine that are like I'd be willing to bet those games mm-hmm. like in a pick 'em style that they'd win those games. The problem for them is they got Denver in the back half of the season. I could see Denver slowly improving. Really, I see them getting worse. Russell Wilson is terrible. He is terrible. He threw a hail mary the other day. He's got terrible. I the mean, two turnovers were bad. I mean, bad. Even Sean Payton looked <laughs> at one point. He looked at me through the camera. It's like I had no mm-hmm. idea he was this bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. I Office wouldn't style. have accepted this yeah. job had I not realized. Had I realized he's this bad. From the three one four hot take or hot garbage, the Toronto Maple Leafs will win a cup before the Edmonton Oilers do. Wow, what do you think, Jamie? With all the Maple Leafs curseness, I don't yeah. know. I say um, no. Wow. I think it's hot before garbage. Before the Oilers? I mean, this could be by the time the Claret Camp comes out before any of these teams win a Stanley Cup. It's True. A, it's a hot take. It's a hot take. The The Maple Leafs roster overall is much better than the Oilers roster overall. If the Oilers got a legit goaltender, though. I mean, they have three yeah. of the top dogs in... Hockey. The goaltending was were, fine last year. Okay, well, you I, obviously you know the the Oilers better than I do. Yeah, but when I look and I see core, it's terrible. Okay, <laughs> I mean when I see McDavid one, Drysaddle two, and then Nugent Hopkins about thirteen yeah, yeah. and goal scored, uh, they're gonna be they're gonna be explosive no matter well, they what. They got Vander Kane too. They've got yeah. a lot of really good pieces. Connor Brown is on in that lineup now too. Offensively, they're I mean yes, they're, they're that team that can outscore you at will. Yeah. But defensively, as we saw in the postseason, like sure. their their decor is not good. Darnell Nurse did not have a great season last year either, so that didn't help. They've got about two defensemen on that roster that are, I, I think are bona fide NHL defensemen. Yeah. 
the rest, not so much. So that's where they got to improve. Do you think it comes down to the coaching of both teams? Like it, it, maybe if you put a like a Stanley Cup winning coach on on that team, that they end up doing better because of matchups. Like we see, Craig, we saw Craig Berube in the middle of the playoffs mix and match guys throughout the lineup, and that ended up helping them rather than just relying on skill and yeah. talent alone. Both of these coaches are young guys. Yeah, uh, both learning a lot on the fly. I do think that Sheldon Keefe. Not that he's a better coach, he just has more options mm-hmm. within his lineup. Whereas you look at Jay Woodcroft and like his options are: Are you are, are you tired, Connor? Can you go again? <laughs> hey, yeah. Leon, can you give me another shift? Like that's his options pretty much. Yeah. When he looks down at the back end on the blue line, if it's a close game or a one goal game, he's panicking. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a whole lot back there to help protect the lead. Which will be the first said coach fired, first QB benched. And the better bet to pull off the primetime upset in week three. Better bet next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's play better bet here in the fast lane on 101 ESPN. What do you guys think? The better bet, first coach to be fired, Brandon Staley of the Chargers or Matt Eberflus of the Bears? Who gets fired first? Yeah. Staley of the Chargers or Eberflus of the Bears? (laughs) Who do you got? Well, the walls are starting to crumble around uh, Matt Eberflus. I mean, my goodness. And it might be the FBI kicking them in. Well, that's on the other side of the ball. It's still <laughs> part of his coaching staff, Anthony. Uh, for uh, those that don't know, uh, the FBI raided yeah. the Bears' defensive coordinator's home earlier this, either this morning or yesterday. He, he had resigned yesterday. He's the Bears' defensive coordinator. And, uh, yeah, FBI apparently found some things. Nobody knows what, what they were, but apparently found some things that – Will likely keep him out of the coaching ranks for uh, forever. Yeah, highly sensitive material is what they called it. Yep. So I don't know. Alan Williams is the name. Don't know what they found, um, but not great. That's for sure. Hmm. So I think I def- I think it's Eber flu. I think the Chargers are going to look at Brandon Staley and go, "You have a season here. You have a really good team." I could see him being fired towards the end of the season. I could see Eberflu going halfway through. I mean, what would be the advantage of firing Staley right now? A new coach coming in with new systems and like new playbooks or like new like all the whole thing. Like you could you could just get a CEO guy, I guess, that comes in yeah. and lets everybody do their job the way they're supposed to be doing it and continue that way. But I don't know. With a with a playoff contending team, I think you ride it out with that coach. And if it doesn't work, you move on. I think it's Brandon Staley. That team is more, uh, they're in a better spot to compete than the Bears. I think the Bears at this point, you have Justin Fields who seem seemingly can't throw the ball downfield, doesn't know essentially what to do, neither does his coach. I think maybe, and neither does the GM. I think that organization ends up 
wiping the slate clean heading into next year. And I think they hope that they end up getting the first pick in Caleb Williams. And I think the best way to do that is to ride it out with what you have right now because I do not see this team winning. It's not working. It's not working. So I look at Brandon Staley. If that team, like the Texer said in Hot Take or Hot Garbage, ends up winning six games, I think at a certain point, you have to move on from Brandon Staley because, I mean, we all think that he's really holding Justin Herbert back. So yeah. that team is in a better spot to compete than Chicago. So I think Brandon Staley would be the first guy out. I think it's going to be Brandon Staley, too, because when you look at this Bears coaching staff, you'd, you'd be firing him after losing Allen, Allen Williams, who resigned again. Admit some sort of controversy that I'm sure will come out. But Matt Eberflus becomes the, the the new defensive coordinator, and I think you just kind of ride it out. I think the Chargers will be the team that's that's desperate because they know they have the talent. So if they get rid of him, if they get rid of Brandon Staley, maybe they can kind of fix this thing. I'm not saying they will, but I think it's going to be a little tougher to replace Eberflus on the fly as opposed to looking at the Chargers and saying, yeah, we need to pull the we need to pull the, the, the plug here. Try to salvage the season if we if we continue to lose. I think Staley's the first one fired. And their OC, new man Kellen in Moore. town, Kellen Moore, maybe he gets the opportunity to be a head coach. Yeah. Good luck with that. It's I, I think it's going to end up the same way, but I think ultimately you're looking at expect, high expectations for the Chargers, and they could be 0-3 if Marshy's uh, Vikings beat them this week. I hope so. All right, first quarterback benched. Better bet, Mac Jones or or your guy, Jamie Russell Wilson. <laughs> Look at that head turn. My guy. Uh, who? Your guy, Mac Jones, or your guy, Russell Wilson? Who is the backup in Denver? Oh, boy. I'll get that, I'll get that uh, to you in a second. Oh, what is his name? It is... Uh, um, because that matters. Oh, Jared Stidham. Hmm. Former Patriot. Former Raider. Former Raider. He came in last year. Looked pretty good. For Carr. Looked okay. For like one game. Yep. Man, I don't know. This is a this is a really tough question because I think Belichick has to stick with Mac Jones. I think he has to ride it out. He really like Bailey Zappi? Like that's not your guy. He's got Mac Jones light behind him. He, he does, but still not, you know, it's not moving the ball. Yeah. Figuratively and theoretically. Mm. Um, Russell Wilson, though, like, gave him all that money. So I'd say the most likely is probably Mac Jones, just based on the the sheer amount of money that Russell Wilson got from the Broncos. Yeah, I'll say Russell Wilson. I don't think Sean Payton is a no-nonsense guy. Plus, Mac Jones didn't look too bad in the second half of both of those those games in the first two weeks so I think the Patriots could look at that and say okay what can we do to maximize Mac Jones not only for the second half but in the first half as well and we mentioned it earlier he was either earlier this week or last week no it had to be earlier this week that when he's in shotgun and sort of in that two-minute drill he seems to get in a, a rhythm and he feels a little bit more comfortable so I think if they can play to that through the entire game, I think he could have a lot more success compared to Russell Wilson, who's just been he's just been garbage. Mm. I, I don't think he's been that great. He's terrible. He's terrible, as Jamie said. And unfortunately for Jamie, that's his guy. No, it's not my guy. It never has Loves been. Loves him. Always no, has. It's it's something. I've never liked him. Mac Jones. I think it's gonna be Mac Jones. He said he's I think it's gonna be Mac Jones. Mac Jones is that will be the first QB benched, at least over those two. I think when you look at the Patriots, 
I mean, they, the defense has given the Patriots the ball, the offense and Mac Jones the ball with an opportunity to win the game the last two weeks. I'm not saying it's great, great position, but Tom Brady made a made made his career on getting the ball last and winning the game. And, I, and Mac Jones and and nobody's Brady, but I think when you're Belichick and you're looking, and you're like, hey, we're, we got you to a point where it's a one possession game. Go win us a game. He didn't. So I think it's going to be Mac Jones eventually. Better bet to pull off the primetime upset in week three. The Bucks over the Eagles on Sunday Night Football. The Bucks hosting the Eagles on Sunday Night Football. Or the Rams over the Bengals on Monday Night Football. Wow. I think it's, I think it's the Rams. I don't, I don't think they win, but I think it's a better bet. I, I, the Bucks have played fine. Baker Mayfield has been okay. I don't see them beating the Eagles. I don't care where they're playing that game. Yeah. Whereas with the Rams, like the Bengals have been not good. They're they're at risk. So I could see the Rams pulling the upset off. I agree with you, Jamie, and I agree with you, Anthony, because I know exactly what you're going to say. I'm going to go with the Rams over the Bengals. Uh, Anthony, you're not you're not that high on the Bengals this year, uh, but I just don't see Baker Mayfield pulling it off against the Eagles' defense. I think they they end up uh, stuffing him. I could see Baker turning the ball over a few times, which he's done pretty well at not turning the ball yeah. over all too much this season, which is something different. But uh, the Rams, I I feel like they've they've been playing pretty well. So far this season, obviously they played the 49ers last week, uh, who's a, a solid team, even though they won't beat the Giants, apparently, according to us uh, tonight. But uh, the, I got the Rams uh, over the Bengals on Monday Night Football. Marsh, you don't know me at all. You don't what? know what I'm going to say. I'm definitely taking the Rams. Uh, you guys are right. <laughs> I, I think what happens with the Bucs on, on Sunday night is the Bucs, their run game is going to get stuffed. The Eagles do a great job against the run. In fact, they're, they're limiting teams to 52 yards per, per game, uh, it, it, which is the fewest in, uh, in the NFL. So 52 rush yards per game allowed this season, fewest in the NFL. They're going to force Shaky Bakey to put the ball in the air. The Eagles don't blitz a ton because they rely on that front four to get pressure. Shaky Bakey has been better when he's pressured because he's got to make quick decisions. The Eagles are going to lay back, and they're going to say, dude, we took away your run. You're going to be third and eight a lot. You pick us apart, and that's just not his game. Whereas the Bucs are going to be aggressive. They're going to blitz Jalen Hurts, and Hurts is going to beat them. The Rams, I think, have played pretty well the first two weeks, and Marsh said it. I'm not high on the Bengals this year. I think the Rams. I actually will pick the Rams, too, on Monday night. All right, last one. Better bet to remain 0-3 after this week. I will. Patriots at the Jets. Will the Patriots remain 0-3, or is it better bet the Chargers remain 0-3? They're at the Vikings. So who do you like better? You like the Patriots over the Jets or the Chargers over the Vikings? Patriots over the Jets. I like the Patriots over the yeah, Jets. Uh, the, like Jet, the Jets just, the, the Patriots cannot. The, Jet, the Jets can't beat the Patriots. It just really doesn't matter well, who's. Especially with who's Uncle playing. Bill. He's going to scheme up a defensive scheme that, Poor Zach Wilson won't know what the hell he's no. doing. And he hasn't in the last yeah. several the several times he's faced the Patriots. Yep. I agree with you, Anthony. I think it's the Chargers. I don't I don't see I don't see the Patriots losing to the Jets with Zach Wilson at the helm. Um I gotta go with my Vikings this week. They have to win at some point, taking on another 0-2 team. So I think the Chargers will start off 0-3, and I, I can't really say that they'd win over the Patriots, considering I I picked Brandon Staley to be my first coach fired. So I think those kind of <laughs> you know play play into one another. By the way, 
the Eagles and Buccaneers game is on Monday Night Football. So we oh, have is two, it? We have two? We have two oh, Monday Night Footballs. You're going to love the Sunday Night Football oh, game, God, Anthony. Steelers and, and Raiders. Yep. Oh, man, I'm just looking at this now. Yeah, my apologies. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. Two Monday Night Football games again. Eagles, Bucks, and Rams and Bengals. Yeah, so primetime matchup um, in both scenarios, but oh, wow. Steelers-Raiders, huh? <laughs> okay. Yeah. What's trending is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's going on in the world of sports? The Fast Lane has you covered with what's trending now. Brought to you by Goodwill. Donate to Goodwill and get a Lion's Choice Sandwich Coupon. Welcome back to the Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. Anthony Stalter, Jamie Rivers, I'm Andrew Marsh, and it's time for What's Trending. Jamie, you sent me this earlier today. This is from John Denton. And this is what he tweeted out, or X'd out, whatever you want to call it these days. For some in-game slash Thursday afternoon reading, discover much pain St. Louis Cardinals right-handed pitcher Adam Wainwright was in throughout the day on Monday and how he almost didn't pitch on the night he somehow threw seven scoreless innings and captured career win number 200. I find that very interesting, gentlemen. Hmm. Well, Matt Holiday was telling us how banged up Adam Wainwright was. So that I guess that, that makes sense to some degree. It makes it even more impressive that he was able to go out there and, and dominate as much as he did. And, Jamie, I thought you brought up a good point. And we talked about it after he, he, he won. But when we had Matt Holiday on earlier, you said it's not like – he got a bunch of run support, one very good, and he just kind of got through it. No, he aced the test. He was great. And every his teammates had his back, but he did he did the heavy lifting. So for him to also be banged up, man, I thought that was impressive. Well, apparently he woke up with back spasms and he had ribs out of place. And so I guess when he went to the, the field, the trainer um, – had him go in and talk to Ollie Marmel and said, hey, you may want to think about a plan B here because it doesn't look good. Yeah. And then uh, somehow he was able to persevere through it and, and pitch you know, seven scoreless innings and get mm-hmm. win number 200. So per what Matt Holliday did say earlier today where he alluded several times that Adam Wainwright had started his last game for the Cardinals – it not maybe not in those words exactly. He just said, you know, he's pretty banged up. Probably, I would say, he probably not going to see him in the starting role. You know, but he did say he might come in, try to close a game out. Mm. That's one's interesting to me. We'll you don't see. like it. I don't, you don't like it. No, I don't actually. You hate it, in fact. I do. I do hate it. Unless, unless Cardinals are up by four or five runs, it's formality, pretty mm. much. A last thing, so the last, just walk with me here for a second. Yeah. Okay. Interlocking fingers, you know that. Of course. And when, <laughs> when I think of Adam Wainwright's last game as yeah. a Cardinal, I'm thinking of the playoff atmosphere that was at Bush Stadium for win 200. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking of. I don't want to think of Adam Wainwright's last game where it's a two-run ball game, and he gives up a three-run bomb in the ninth inning. How could you? How could you? How could they, Anthony? How could they put him in that situation? 
So that's where my head is at on it. All right. That's all. I don't know if he would be in a, a safe situation based on the way this team's playing as of late. 8 2, 6 nothing. It's hard to save a game when you're not winning. Marsh, you're just as bad as Jamie right now. Where's the faith that I didn't show a couple of segments ago in this team? <laughs> you have no faith at all. Well, not in this team, no. I know. Have you watched them play? I, yeah. When you guys are walking hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. When you guys are walking hand in hand on the sidewalk, yeah. who's the closer one to the street? Oh, I am. I protect Anthony. Okay. Yeah. I like to think that we alternate, but. No, no, no. You, come on. Let's be honest here. If we're walking, we're holding hands. You know, okay? <laughs> you know. <laughs> He's right. He's close to the street. He likes to protect me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I don't feel like I need it, but, uh, you know. It's always good to it's have. Nice. It's nice. Yeah. It is. It feels good. It's a nice option. It sure does, Andrew. <laughs> well said. It's quite beautiful, actually. So. Uh, guys, <laughs> former Cardinal Tommy Pham had this to say about the 2023 oh, New York Mets. He does not mince words at all. Uh, you know, he's not a stranger to maybe slapping somebody, too. But this is what he had to say. Out of all the teams I've played on, this is the least hardest working group of position players I've ever played with. It's unbelievable. So you got big, strong Tough guy, Pete Alonzo yeah. in that group. Francisco Lindor, who you're paying a ton of money to. Uh, Jeff McNeil. Yeah, what's his name? Nimmo. Yeah, Brandon Nimmo. But, you know, he could be talking about all the pitchers, too. Like they he said just, position players, right? Oh, yeah, didn't he, he did, specify? Right, he did say. He did. <laughs> he was very clear. He narrowed it down He's for very us. clear about his his uh, disdain for the, for the Mets' teammates. I wonder, like, wow. How do you like, I mean, it, you're a teammate, right? So, Jamie, walk us through this. You have a you have a teammate yeah. that says something like that. Do you take ownership in it? Do you say, all right, well, maybe this he's not wrong? Well, or do you throw him down a flight of stairs? Yeah, tough call. Um, so, first thing I would do is I would, I would identify myself as either part of the problem or part of the the solution. Right? Mm-hmm. Am I a guy that's working hard or am I not? If I'm not uh, and I'm offended, well, that's on me. If I'm sitting there just basically stealing money from the New York Mets and not working hard and not caring, whatever, yeah. then you know what? He's right. Ah, you got me. But if I'm if I'm a guy that's working extremely hard, I, I think, well, actually here about the, I think a conversation needs to happen either way. Either way. I think leadership, the problem is I think that there's no leadership in that clubhouse anymore right mm. now. And I, I, as a leader, you walk in and say, hey, listen, dude, that's something for here. Something for here. You want to air it out? You want to close the doors? You want to square up in the middle of the room? Let's go. I don't care. Because whatever happens in here stays in here. The moment you go out to the media and start st- saying all this stuff, like... The spotlight goes to him. It goes to, like, for all the wrong reasons, there's been enough negative crap about the Mets this season, let alone now Tommy Pham throwing gas on the fire with what he perceives to be the least hardworking team he's ever played on. Yeah. Well, it's easy for him to say because he's not in that clubhouse anymore. Not anymore. That's right. He plays for Arizona, so he can say whatever he wants. Yeah. Which, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Do they play Arizona? Do they play them? Oh, I don't know. I'm just trying to see if they have a game against them or something. I think that the Mets are in Philadelphia. 
tonight. I imagine they they're out. There. Yeah, they're out there all weekend. So I don't know if they just faced the Mets uh, or what. No, the Mets were just in Miami. So mm. I don't know. Fan favorite, former fan favorite, <laughs> talks dirt on his former team. Yeah, really. If you missed that. <laughs> SI.com's headline for Jack Flaherty, a former Cardinals fan favorite. Jack Flaherty moved to Baltimore Orioles pen. And we we all agreed, right? Like we we agreed as a team that that was that had to be the the ultimate snark, right? I mean, I don't had to be. Somebody actually could have believed that. But there's 0.0 evidence that Jack Flaherty was ever beloved by this Cardinals fan base. There's no way that could be misconstrued. I don't think anybody could ever possibly think that Jack Flaherty was a fan favorite here. No. Just for the the, the because he's polarizing. Yeah, no. There's no way. No. Nah. Okay. Last thing here before we before we move on. Jamie, uh, you've been talking a lot of smack about the Bears, and rightfully so. Stephen A. Smith also talking some smack. And this is uh, from X. Bears safety Jaquan Brisker, he liked a tweet of Stephen A. Smith saying the Bears are trash and that it's a shame they represent the city of Chicago. This is what the quote said. Let me tell you something right now. The Chicago Bears are trash. Let's just call it what it is. They are not a good organization. It's a damn shame they represent the city of Chicago. They stink. And this player liked it. Yeah, that's a tough one there. Oh, I was just scrolling and my thumb double-tapped it by accident. <laughs> well, you can easily say, I'm saving this so that when we get back to work, we remember this. It's For a sure. whole receipt. The kids say, uh, I- I'm, was it on t- I'm keeping receipts. It was on Twitter. So Okay. so um, Yeah, Twitter used to have, instead of a like, it was a favorite thing. And so you could, fa- and I used to do that a lot, is favorite articles that I'd like to go back and read later on. Mm-hmm. Then they changed it to liking, to heart. You know, so, and I'm like, right. mm-hmm. what if it's an article about like like some axe murderer? But I'm just like, oh, I want to <laughs> read that later. See you what the hell You can bookmark it now. Oh, you can? You can bookmark how it. How Learn how to bookmark it, okay, Which, Jamie? Come on. Which one's that? Uh, oh, it looks it like a banner. Yeah, I see it now. All right. A banner. Yeah, one of the banners that the Predators usually put out every year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I gotcha. So, All right. We it's the third place Central yes. Division. We got Ryan we, O'Reilly in the offseason. Yeah. <laughs> so. Cardinals, if the Cardinals keep playing like this though, eventually they're gonna Don't be hanging say it. it. Don't Just say it. Cactus League uh oh. Grapefruit League champions. Mm-hmm. Spring there. training. Yeah, Grapefruit League. He went there. Unbelievable. Am I right? No, you're right. Okay. I didn't say you're wrong. Speaking of the Cardinals, Alec Burleson said that uh, he butted heads with Turner Ward this year. So we have it. The controversy. Finally. The true story's coming out. Players hated the coaching staff. Well, not really. But we'll tell you what Burleson said, and we'll tell you what's kind of tricky about this whole thing and what Matt Holiday said when we asked him about this earlier today in the show. That's all next in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Turner and I butted heads a lot. Turner Ward, we uh, we butted heads a lot this season because I, you know, he was trying to break through because I was I was very you know stuck in my ways and and I think we can both say you know rightfully so what got me here was hitting and, and my approach and but obviously it's a different game here and um, you know we had lots of conversation we butted heads a lot but you know I finally let him in. There you have it. I, th- I thought that was that was some honesty out of Alec Burleson. For him to say, yeah, we butted heads, he he clearly feels comfortable enough to say that to the media and has a great relationship with Turner Ward in order to say that. You wouldn't, you would keep that under lock and key, you know? So for him to be honest about it, I think gives the fan base and us in the media an opportunity to take a a peek behind the curtain of of what could go go down uh, throughout the course of a season. Matt Holliday joined us earlier. We, I remember asking this question to Matt Holiday when Jordan Walker was sent down, and he made the comments of, yeah, I know, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, I know what got me here. I know what got me here from a hitting standpoint. I'm kind of overthinking things. I'm going to go back to being me. And I asked Holiday earlier in the season how difficult that is if you're a young hitter and you know what got you to the league, yet you're dealing with coaches who also understand that if you continue to do what you're doing, you're not going to stay in the league, which is ultimately the most important thing. And I also asked Matt what he thought of with after we re, after we read to him the Alec Burleson comments, what he thought about it. So this was his response. When you talk about hitting particularly, you're going to do some things that you've done your whole life. There's going to be some moves you make that you've done since you were a kid. But there is going to have to be some, you know, sort of tweaks, and you're going to have to get into positions consistently uh, that allow you to have success against the best pitchers in the world. And there's some things that you can get away with, maybe in AAA and in the minor league. There's some habits, or maybe there's some things that happen that you can kind of work around in the minor leagues that get that get exposed in the big leagues. Particularly for him, I would say that he's going to he's going to be a guy that's going to have to hit for some power. He's going to have to have a high slugging percentage just because of the positions that he plays and looking at his OPS and some of those things, he's going to have to produce a little bit higher of an OPS if he wants to, to be an everyday player in the major leagues. And, you know, he, he had produced in the minor leagues and, and, and what had got him there, I, I think is, was good enough. But I, I do think that uh, you have to continue to get better, to make tweaks, to listen to coaches, to look, analyze your own swing to figure out where I need to, you know, how do I get in a better position to drive the ball to be a more productive player? This is somebody that I'm sure went through something similar, Jamie. Maybe you also went through it. I know you have talked early in your career about what it what it took to play at the NHL level and how different it was than what what you had thought and what it what it took for you to understand what role you'd be playing on various teams in order to stick at the mm-hmm. NHL level. But when you have talent like Burleson does or Jordan Walker does or Justin Fields who we've talked a lot about it's kind of balancing that all right I don't I got to be me yet if I can't read defenses and you're telling me that you know I'm going to be in a lot of trouble here if I continue to just rely on my legs I got to listen to you and finding that balance between the two for you how difficult was it well I was yeah it was very difficult I mean I've talked about it before I mean I came into the NHL as a a very offensive-minded defenseman, and early in my career, I was asked to be completely the opposite. <laughs> so, did I trust my coach at that point? No, it was Mike Keenan. Yeah, I mean, I didn't trust him at all. I thought this guy's an idiot. I mean, that's just my case, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, why would you take a guy who 
is the second highest scoring defenseman in OHL history and turn him into a physical defensive shot blocking defenseman. Mm-hmm. Don't understand why you would do that. Really don't. But he did. And so as a player, you adapt and you learn to become whatever the team needs. And that was my situation. So it's substantially different, I think, than what Alec Burleson is going through or what he did go through with uh, Turner Ward here. I think that uh, I think that there are some things you can get away with at the minor league level, collegiate level, junior hockey, high school, just because you're physically gifted. And when you get to the majors, you get exposed. Um, even in hockey, there's things you can get away with with that that soft saucer pass through the middle of the ice. It's, yeah. you know, that the other guy can't knock down. Every guy in the NHL is knocking that down and putting it back in the back of your net. So same in, in the majors where pitchers are going to find the holes in your swing. They're going to watch the video and see where you struggle, and they're going to pitch you a certain way. So change is necessary sometimes. And I think that it's difficult for players who are physically gifted and have just been able to power their way through it. Mm-hmm. I think Alec Burleson got a bit of a wake-up call this year because he was a power hitter, power bat, the AAA level. Yeah, He's not here. Matt, Matt's 100% right. Like, what is he here? Is he a hit-for-average guy? Have you seen the body style on this guy? He's not a hit-for-average guy. He's not. He should be power all day long. He should be doubles and home runs. Should be looking at for, for Burleson. That's the way I look at a guy that will play the outfield, the DH, or the first base position with the way he's built and like what he should be doing. And he didn't get there. I think he had, what, eight home runs this year? Mm-hmm. I think. Could be wrong. But somewhere in that, that area, it's not enough for a guy who did get consistent at-bats. Yeah. Not every day, but he got consistent at-bats. But the good thing about Alec Burleson is he has a really good swing. Mm-hmm. He does. He has a really good baseball swing. So I think what the Cardinals do is work with that and have him become more of a power guy instead of just a contact hitter. Yeah. So that's my opinion on the situation. I think that Alec Burleson, he has to learn, too, to accept that coaching and realize that he needs to be this style of player or this yeah. kind of hitter rather than what he is currently. You know, Brendan Donovan is, is perfect for a contact hitter. Alec Burleson is not, doesn't mm-hmm. profile that way. So right. how are you going to separate yourself from the pack? How do you stay at the major league level? How do you earn yourself a big payday one day? How do you become a regular? You have to do what you're supposed to do, and that's be a power bat for this card. Yeah, team. that's the reality, right? Like Tommy yeah. Edmond, who's, who's playing center field, he's playing shortstop, he's playing second base. Brandon Donovan's similar, right? He's playing second base, or he could play, he could play in the outfield. He's he's adding value beyond what he does with the with the bat. Alec Burleson, maybe he's a full time first baseman for a, you know a, a different team. Certainly not here with Paul Goldschmidt at first base. Can he be a DH? Yeah, against right handers. But you're right. You got You have to bring. What's your value to the team? Your value to the team is anytime you're in the lineup, you could you could park one out of the you know out of the stadium. You got to do that then. Mm-hmm. And if there's certain things that Turner Ward or the Cardinals are saying, hey, listen, this is how this is how we can tweak you to make sure that we take full advantage of your swing, this is what you need to do. And if you don't, the reality is you're just going to be gone because they, they're going to find another Alec Burleson within the system to, to come up and see if he could do the same thing. So, yeah. you know, and that's not unlike any, any other team in any other sport. What value do you bring to this team? And... I love when you talk about it because you talked about how figure out what the coaches didn't have that he, that they wanted. Oh, yeah. Listen, 
answers to the test. You become and a chameleon. Yes. That's what I, my right. brother and I used to say. I need a goaltender. I can do it. Who can be the best chameleon in the room? I can. What right. do you need? You just tell me. Yep. I'll do it. That's right. So we do get a good question here. I figure we'll, we'll answer this one quick, quickly. It says, Rivs, would you tell us about a coach that you butted heads with at first but ended up respecting them, maybe even praising them? It's a good so, question. Uh, I always talk about Jimmy Roberts. Mm-hmm. I love the man. And uh, he was my first head coach in the minors in the American Hockey League. Um, and Jimmy was tough. He was tough, but fair. Uh, and we would butt heads. We would have some screw you matches on the bench, and hallways, whatnot. But Jimmy did it out of love. So I knew like what he was doing. We didn't always agree, but I'll tell you what, I respected the hell out of Jimmy uh, just for everything that he had done and the fact that he was a really good coach. And he wanted me to be successful. So he's one guy. Another guy is Jacques Martin. He and I did not see eye to eye at all on style of play and whatnot and just the way things are, just just in general. We're two different human beings. Sure. But I respected the heck out of him. He was an unbelievable coach. Maybe the best X's and O's coach I ever, I've ever had in my entire life. This guy knows hockey. And so um, I ended up respecting him for his knowledge of the game and praising him because when I was with the Ottawa Senators, we had a team that was, I mean, we were locked down good in every facet of the game. Heck, he would practice line changes. You laugh. I think it's awesome. But he would practice yeah. line changes. The faster we could get five guys on and off the ice, he, he calculated it down to what kind of an advantage it creates for us for puck possession, getting the opposition tired more and all it reminds me of Belichick. And he used to practice at the end of the game, like you know, the other team pulls the goal, it's six on five, right? Yeah. He would make it seven on five in practice. Wow. Because if you can beat a team that's got seven and you got five, you can beat a team that has six sure. on the ice. And so just thinking outside the box, that's just great. a lot of great things. So those are two guys that come to mind. Good stuff. All right, that's Jamie Rivers and Anthony Stelter. Biggest question of the day next on the Fast Line. Back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Fast Lane's biggest question of the day. With Jamie Rivers and Anthony Stalter, here's Andrew Marsh with the biggest question of the day. All right, guys. Earlier today, Doug Armstrong talked with the media, and one of the questions centered around Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. And here's what Doug Armstrong had to say about the two. They're the focal points of our offense. There's no question that that Robert's a number one center, and there's no question that that Cairo is a uh, you know in that top grouping of wingers with Bucci. You know that that's just the reality of it, and. and to have success, your best players have to play their best, and they're going to be relied upon uh, to, to be those catalysts offensively. But what we, we see year in, year out, to have 80 or 90 points and be a minus player is not successful for the organization. So I think they can have very good offensive years if if it's balanced with, with a great defensive game or at least a solid defensive game. I, I'm not looking for Selkies uh, this year for many of those guys, but I'm also we're not looking to... Be at center ice more often than not for a face-off when we're playing out of our net, not theirs. So after hearing Army, what does the next step for Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo look like for this upcoming season? So was it yesterday, the day before, we talked about captains and the, the best captain I've ever played yeah. with? Yep. Steve I Iserman. yesterday. Yeah. Remember yesterday. I brought up Steve Eiserman? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go back there again. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who weren't listening... It's surrounded around leadership. This is going to be something different. This is going to be style of play. 
and it, it, it's actually applicable to both Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyrou. Do I think they're Steve Eiserman? No, not, not yet. But they both have the ability, at least from an offensive standpoint, to be Steve Eiserman. But can they truly end up being like Steve Eiserman? Let me read off some numbers for you here, Anthony. Okay. When Steve Eiserman was drafted to the NHL, his very first season, he had 87 points in 80 games. That team was terrible. Red Wings were terrible. They didn't win anything. He goes on to have 90 points, 102 points, 155 points. Red Wings didn't make the playoffs that year. 127 points, 108 points, 103, 137 points. Red Wings haven't won a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Okay. Then all of a sudden, 82 points. Mm. 95, 85, 74, 79. But guess what happened? Start winning. Red Wings start winning Stanley Cups too. Yeah. And I told you about this. Scotty Bowman had a talk with Steve Eiserman and said, Do you want to win scoring titles? Or do you want to win Stanley Cups? And right. Stevie's one of the most competitive human beings I've ever met in my life. I absolutely adore Steve Eiserman. Except for double overtime under the crossbar in Game <laughs> 7. I'll hate you forever for that. <laughs> but the point was is that almost like we're looking at Cairo and Thomas right now. They can put up these numbers. They're so flashy, so dynamic. But can you win? Like Army just said, are you pulling the puck out of your net more often than you should be? Mm-hmm. Can you win with guys who are just one-dimensional? No, you can't. Not when they are the focal point of your team. And so, not again, not saying they can become Steve Eisenman. If they can become a version of Steve Eisenman and now mentally wrap their brain around not worrying about 100 points, 110 points. Because if I'm Army, I'm telling them this. Boys, guess what? You already got your money. Okay, you already got your money. So you don't have to go score 100 points to make your 8 million next year. You're making it anyways. Right. But, yeah, you don't, right. but is your 8 million guaranteeing you a Stanley Cup? No, no. It isn't. Right. So if you've got all the money and you got nothing to worry about financially, what do you really want? You want to win. You want to win a championship. You want to lift that cup again down Market Street. See that friggin' chaos that was a parade. That's what you want. If you want that, then you have to round out your game. What does it look like? Well, it looks like managing the puck properly. It looks like not uh, being a liability in your own end defensively. It's competing along the wall. It's getting pucks back. It's dumping the puck in when you should. It's getting the puck out at the blue line in your end when you need to. It's blocking shots when it calls for it. It's winning face-offs when it's timely. Yeah. That's what it looks like. So the next step for those guys is we'll call it Project Iserman for those two guys. The next step for Thomas and Cairo is trying to become Steve Iserman. I love it. And I love that you had the breakdown there too because you could see it. We're listening to it. You could see it in, in live color there. All these points, mm-hmm. not any Stanley Cups. And then he becomes an all-around player, sacrificing his body. Like you said, he was eating pucks mm-hmm. in the playoffs. We saw this with the Lightning. Oh, same thing. Look there, at Steven Stamkos. Stamkos what did he become? was what, a shot who was his blocker. GM? Uh well Steve Eiserman. Steve Eiserman, yeah. That's his it same was guy his who mentor. Brought in Pat Maroon, too. But he was Steve Eiserman was Steven Stamkos' mentor. Mm-hmm. And had I know this because I know Steve, I know this for a fact. He had the exact same talk with Steven Stamkos that Scotty Bowman had with him. Yeah. And look at that team. It's amazing. Eating bucks. How winning, do the blue, winning cups? How do the blues fare? If these two have a dip in their offensive production, if that does mean beefing up their defensive game in terms of 
point production, can they still be competitive? Will They'll that be a better team? Okay, so that will end up translating. More wins. They don't have to score 100 points for the Blues to win. They don't. If the, if, because if of you, the depth. If you win a game 3-1, to one, you still won the game. That's true. Rather than losing the game 7-6. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you play winning hockey. And don't worry, they're going to get their points. They're going to get their cookies. Mm-hmm. They're going to be on every single freaking power play, too. And that's one thing I'd be pounding into their skulls, too. You want your want your points? You want your cookies? Be good on the power play. You guys were not good on the power play last year. So think of all the points you gave away because our power play wasn't good. Yeah. If our power play is good, that means we're scoring goals. It means you're probably touching the puck in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Point totals. So play solid five on five and you'll get your cookies on the power play when need be. We get a great text from the 314. Makes a great point. Jamie, it's about clearing the puck. It's, I mean, I didn't hear you mention anything about that, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really playing selfless hockey. It's a fast lane on 101 ES. It's going for you one day. Yeah. Okay, it'll be under some other company. It won't be my company that represents it, that's for sure. Uh, but I'm going to set up a cleared camp for you. Okay. Okay? Uh-huh. You're going to run it. Yes. A whole week. Three hours a day, you're going to mimic the Synergy Hockey program. Okay. Of getting an hour and a half on the ice in the morning, an hour off ice in the morning, hour and a half in the afternoon, hour off ice in the afternoon. Sure. And you're going to get five straight days of that. It's going to be clear at camp. Uh-huh. The ice time, by the way, is 300 bucks an hour. So okay. when you're doing your pricing and you're trying to fill up your camp yeah. and pay coaches to sure. be there to help you, because no offense to you, but... But it's my idea. It's my camp. Yeah, you can stand there, but you probably mm-hmm. won't be able to demonstrate it quite the same way. I'll help you out, Anthony. Yes, yeah, so there you go. But now you got to pay Marshy, right? So I got you. He I makes got a you great Mar- point. You probably you covered, have Marshy. to get three or four registrations alone, maybe five, to, just to pay Marshy. Never mind yeah. the three hundred bucks an hour for ice time. Right. I think we got a lot of people signed up already. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're waiting you, in the wings. Did you hear this texter? Yeah, it's we just, got a three one four is probably one of the one of the people signing up or yeah. signing their 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 child up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll help you with everything except I'm not going to be on the ice. Okay. I'll help you with the mo- uh, the build. Like I know how to build a camp, obviously. Yeah, no doubt. We've been doing that's it why. Before. That's why I was bringing the yep. clear camp to you. Jamie can be your mentor when it comes oh, yeah. to. He can be my camp. Scotty Bowman. I'll Absolutely. show you just exactly what you have to do in order to have a successful camp financially. And, and also with the kids as far yeah. as you know, them learning. Uh, no doubt. That's what it's about. It's I'm, about the kids. I'm honestly super excited to see how many clear-it drills you can come up with. Excellent. Yeah, without the kids just standing there taking slap shots down the ice. I already have 75 written up. The, the 618, uh, great point as well. In the famous words from the Mighty Duck, uh, from Mighty Duck 3, uh, you have to clean up the trash around the net consistently, so we could dump some trash out on the ice. That was one of the drills. One hundred percent. Yeah, the yeah. arena guys will love that. Yeah. They well, well that. you know, they can they can just take the Zam and clean it up. Yeah, they love right? they love running the Zam over objects. Yeah, that, yeah. Doesn't, that well, doesn't mess up the Zamboni. At well, all. it's not going to be on the ice. We're going to clear it up. We're going to clear it up. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to clear it out. Hence the clear camp. Guys, you know what? You're really on. Marsh, something. you're hired. You Jamie. guys should start your own company. Jamie, thank you for being on board finally with well, this. I'm not this on board, is, Anthony. This is exciting. I'm not on board. This I, is a I big day for the clear account. Consulting fee too, so just yeah. be ready for that. You're fired, Marsh. It's you and I. <laughs> How's that feel, Jamie? How's that feel, Jamie? <laughs> I'm fine with it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I he was, was angling for. Yeah, I felt yeah. that he's Jamie... like Johnny Manziel. He's trying to get fired. Exactly. Seriously, I'm not watching yeah. one minute of video. Not one bleeping <laughs> zero. 
Zero minutes. Yeah. Zero minutes of film. Yep. Johnny was what? Really? Uh, Fastlane on 101 ESPN. Think by accident, he would have clicked on right, it. Right. Like, what the hell? Oh, wait, no. one night is... and decided to watch his own highlights. <laughs> I don't know. Something. Right? His own cut-ups Anything. from practice. No, nothing. Nope. He just decided, I'm not going to watch a damn thing. <sighs> what you miss? Criticisms, compliments next on 101 ESPN. Back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, make sure you download the podcast. We appreciate that. Uh, we're back on YouTube and the YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL, but you check out the podcast available at 101ESPN.com or your 101 ESPN mobile app. It's all brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Chatted with Matt Holiday today. We talked to Kyle Hebert of St. Louis City SC. Let off the show today talking about their playoff clinching t- draw last night. So talk to Kyle Hebert about that and uh, just the expectations coming into the year and how they match now, what the expectations are for the, for the club. And we chatted with Chris Kerber as we gear up for the split squad games on Saturday. Game one, pregame, 12 o'clock. Game two, pregame, 6 o'clock. What do we got for criticisms and compliments, Marsh? Yeah, we got one from Benner Dogecam on YouTube saying, welcome back, boys. YouTube is my favorite way to take in the show, and I've been monitoring the YouTube chat, and it seemed like everyone was super excited that we were back on YouTube. I know they have their own little... um, Group, I guess it's. I Call see the, the whack pack. The whack pack. I see them on Love YouTube you. every day, so uh, we're glad to have them back Do in you? the chat. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for for anybody watching. I the the reviews for YouTube have been overwhelmingly positive. People have really enjoyed the YouTube stream. So uh, thank you, thank you for watching us. From the three one four, I'm in Denver listening to the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Denver. Thank you. Very much. And uh, thanks, Dad. He's always good for a zinger or two uh, throughout the day. Thanks, Dad said. My schedule's full that day, of course, for the clear at camp. Hmm. Uh, But I'll clear it. Oh, boy. Good. There it is. (laughs) He'll fit in. (laughs) Pretty good. Just fine. Yeah, we'll hire him. He's hired. He'll be uh, a big part of our marketing. There you go. One more expense for your camp, Anthony. Good job. It's a a big hat. It's a funny hat. It's a great hat. (laughs) It'll be fine, Jamie. What what could go wrong? Hey, don't forget, we have 49ers and Giants pregame 6.30. Pregame 6.30 tonight between the 49ers and the Giants. I think they kick off about uh, 7.20, I believe, the Thursday night football games. That shouldn't be a blood bloodbath oh, for the Giants, right? We all got the Giants got in the, the Pick'em Challenge. Baby. Go Giants. Hopefully the Riz show doesn't take the Giants as well. With how badly they're going to beat the Niners tonight, mm-hmm. you know? Don't forget we're up 2-0 on the Riz show when it comes to the, the weekly standing. So we're looking pretty good. Don't get ahead of ourselves, though. For Andrew Marsh, Jamie Rivers, I'm Anthony Salter. See you. You've been listening to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.